Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, all the news you need to know from the continent, including Serie A goes viral, the misery of supporting PSG, how Atleti got good, and crossing Turkey off your bucket list. All that plus, of course, Champions League previews in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, thank you for joining us for our continental edition. Woohoo! We've got some good times ahead of us today with the whole gang. Everybody's here. Uh, we've got Alvaro Romeo. Hi, Alvaro. Hello. Hola. Hola, hola. Buenas tardes. Raphael Honigstein's here. Hi. Hi, Raph. James Horncastle putting in an appearance. And we're told Julian Arons is going to be inbound. Where's Julian right now, James? He's on the phone, James. With? To somebody else. Yeah. To a player. Or a guy PP. Who's... PP. Paul yeah. Pogba. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. All right. Well, he'll be, he'll be with us very shortly, hopefully, because we've got a lot to discuss and uh, a lot of fringe angles, of course, on the uh, the big talking points today. Uh, can we get a quick roundup of some of the big stories that are going to be coming towards our listener over the next hour? Alvaro. Yeah, Barcelona tops La Liga table ahead of El Clásico and after... Uh... A catastrophic uh, couple of months uh, when it comes to club affairs. So the fact that they are leading the table is tremendously surprising. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Rafa, in Germany? Well, in the table, actually, it's it's all as it were, James. Right. Um, or as you were. Uh, Bayern won, albeit uh, in a very scruffy fashion, sloppy fashion, against Paderborn. Dortmund won in a very impressive fashion over to Bremen and Leipzig 5-0 at Schalke. But the hottest um, point of discussion was a anti-Dietmar Hopp banner. Hopp is the owner, well, the de facto owner, the benefactor of Hoffenheim. Borussia Mönchengladbach fans put up a banner with him in the crosshairs. The game was interrupted by the referee and uh, the Gladbach officials and even the captain went over and got the fans to remove this banner and there's a whole history because of what happened with Dortmund and uh, there's a lot of fallout from that. Right. Okay, we'll hear, we'll hear more about that. Dramatic. James? Well, there's only one story, really, I suppose, in Italy, which is, as the front page of Gazzetta della Sport said on Monday, the Scudetto has been quarantined because of outbreaks of the coronavirus, uh, particularly in the north of Italy. It meant four games were postponed. Uh, however, Juventus did still play against Spal on Saturday night and Cristiano Ronaldo matched uh, the record established by Gabriel Battistuta and Fabio Qualirelli scored for his 11th consecutive appearance mm. um, in Serie A and will perhaps or maybe not get the opportunity to break it um, this weekend, this coming weekend in the Derby d'Italia against Inter. Right, also on the score sheet for Juve, Aaron Ramsey. Nice to see him back at it. All right, Jules isn't here for his French headline, but it's going to involve, what, PSG winning? So we'll hear more about <laughs> that kind of thing. sent off. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, brilliant. Looking forward to that. Big story, of course, midweek is going to be another set of Champions League matches. On Tuesday, Chelsea taking on Bayern while Napoli hosts Barcelona. And that's where we begin our European Roundup. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. 
Right, Chelsea taking on Bayern at Stamford Bridge. Napoli and Barcelona simultaneously having their first ever meeting in a competitive fixture. Which one are you going to be watching, Rafa, and why? Well, I'll be at Stamford Bridge to see Bayern Munich take on Chelsea. Uh, Bayern love travelling to London, of course. Um, Lots of uh, big wins for them in recent years. Uh, But not against Chelsea. Uh, Last time they were here, 15 years ago, they, of course, uh, were knocked out in the quarterfinals by Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Was that the day that he hid in the the laundry basket? Yes, exactly that. Mm. And it should be interesting. I mean, Chelsea have all the characteristics that could make it difficult for Bayern because they have very pacey, very energetic and sort of annoying forwards that can put pressure on on Bayern's back line and disrupt their game. At the same time, of course, we have seen Chelsea being vulnerable and giving away chances and not looking 100% like the finished product. So Bayern, I think, will feel that while Chelsea are not to be underestimated, they should have a decent chance of going through and should probably over the course of the 180 minutes, if not more, have just a little bit too much in terms of depth, in terms of experience, in terms of quality. So they're quietly confident in Munich that this is not going to be the end of their Champions League The fact that this is, of course, a a, a rematch of the 2012 final, is that something that's a big deal for Bayern beating finalists that that time? Not really. I mean, there's some survivors still in in that team. Um, Neuer is there, uh, Müller is there, but really um, it bears very little uh, relevance to what's happening. Um, the fact that Bayern managed to win in 2013 and told themselves, this is so part of the mythology now of the club, that the 2012 defeat spurred them on and made them stronger and mm. made them go all the way the year after, uh, has put a very different slant on things. So it's not nearly as traumatic and as big a deal now to think back of 2012. I mean, the players, when when they were asked on Friday night repeatedly, they got a little bit annoyed thinking, oh, do I really have to talk about 2012 again? Um, but deep down, I don't think there's any great sense of this is revenge or, you know, this is now a possibility to overcome your trauma or anything like that. Um, it's too far away and it's it's been tempered by what happened in 2013. Yeah, I was at Stamford Bridge on Saturday and I think that Frank Lampard doesn't know yet what his best lineup is, uh, which is something that uh, will probably be interesting to see if he goes for, for pace with wingers or if he plays with Mason Mount and Ross Barkley behind a lone striker. And I think that the, the absence of N'Golo Kanté is going to be missed because I believe that he's not ready for this game. And Jorginho, um, he was running the show the other day against uh, Tottenham and I think that he's one of the players that has improved more over the last uh, couple of months. All that said, Bayern is overwhelmingly favourite for this game because Chelsea is not even better than last season, I believe, and they were playing in Europa League. And Bayern probably are as good as last season and they have improved a lot over the last couple of months. In the group stages, Bayern's numbers were the best the Champions League has ever seen. Six wins, a goal difference of plus 19, massive wins over Spurs, over Red Star Belgrade, Olympiacos as well. Why aren't they huge favourites? Why isn't everyone talking about Bayern for the Champions League, Raf? I guess it's because we haven't seen them um, make another final since Pep went. They came close under Jupankis against Real Madrid uh, only um, one and a half years ago, 2018. They uh, did it really well in that uh, second leg and pushed Real Madrid all the way. But ultimately, uh, we haven't seen them in the final in, in almost 10 years now. So I think they're just a little bit off the radar. Um, they're not seen as, I think, as stable enough, as um, quite as... Um, 
consistent enough as they have been. Certainly when, when Guardiola was there, I mean, even Thomas Müller, I talked to him for an interview in The Athletic, he said, you know, since Pep has left, it's been a little bit Wild West at Bayern. You, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, we don't have the same control. We can play good stuff, but we can also be yeah, a little bit disorganized. And Hansi Flick, I think, has done well to at least suggest that he can take Bayern back towards that control, towards that very clearly defined identity that put them at the top of European football, albeit briefly. And it's very interesting to see Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, chief executive, speak about the debt that the club owed in modern times to Hitzfeld, Van Gaal, Pep and Heinkes, and then saying almost immediately that he sees Hansi Flick in a position to perhaps bring Bayern back to that that sort of style and that sort of identity. And that was very important for Bayern to have that style and that identity in brackets because we didn't have it under Niko Kovac. They're doing their best, I think, to back him and to put him in a position where he can really claim this job now. But in order to do that, he needs to be very convincing, not just against Chelsea, but also mm. against a possible opposition in the uh, quarterfinals. Meanwhile, while all that's going on, uh, a long way to the south at the San Paolo in Naples, and Napoli will be taking on Barcelona in what is clearly the Maradona a derby. Let's zoom in on their issues for a second. Both managers making their Champions League debut. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. And when the draw was made, I don't think many people would have given Gennaro Gattuso's Napoli much chance against uh, Barcelona. Uh, how about now, James? Well, it was curious listening to Gattuso after Friday night's win in Brescia, which was their sixth win in seven games in all competitions, because he was saying our objectives get to 40 points, which is the kind of argument that a coach makes when a team is fighting against relegation. And that was put to him and he said, well, look, the situation that I came into here was very delicate indeed in terms of the fines that had been levied against the players as a punishment for the strike against Carlo Ancelotti following the um, Salzburg game um, and picking players up, making them put that to the back of their minds has been very difficult and he's repeatedly said over the last few weeks that this issue of um, the club basically taking this course of action against the players has been a huge obstacle for them to get over. I mean watching them for example getting those results in the Coppa Italia beating Lazio Mm. beating Juventus the win on Friday and you're thinking a lot of these players are actually being taken to court by their own club that they're on this run of results is quite amazing. It is, and I think uh, Gattuso deserves some credit for basically helping them compartmentalise um, what has been an unprecedented um, set of circumstances. Um, and he's got Lorenzo Insigne performing. Insigne, who'd really fallen out of favour and fallen out with Carlo Ancelotti, was being left out not only of the, the starting eleven but sometimes the squad for their Champions League games. He now is becoming the leader that I think a lot of people want him to be for Napoli. He's particularly in that first half against Brescia was the only player who was kind of trying to take the team by the scruff of the neck. And he scored the winning goal in the league win against Juventus and uh, the winning goal against Lazio in the cup as well, which knocked out the, the holders of that competition. And Gattuso has gone back to basics. There's none of the kind of tinkering with the team that Ancelotti would do which was playing players in lots of different positions changing it from week to week and the team kind of suffering um, for for that this time it's just 4-3-3 I think there'll be a lot of Spanish attention on Fabian Ruiz because Fabian who kind of disappeared in the first half of the season is now beginning to come good scored a wonderful goal yeah, at San Siro against, against 
into and oh, the pressure, pressure as well. Yeah. Um, so he is getting a tune out of this team. And again, to go to your point, James, about moving on from this 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 fact that the club is taking the action against the players that it is. A lot of the players know that they're not going to be there in the summer. So mm. they could just, I'm not going to say down tools, but the club has signed a load of players in January. So the team is stronger for that right. as well. But they've also signed players for next season as well. You know, Pitania, Rachmani. Um, so it's clear that there is going to be a clear out and a complete change at Napoli. But this is the kind of game that I think really focuses the mind. And we mentioned the big games that they've won of late. They didn't lose to Liverpool in the group stages. They beat them at the San Paolo and they they, they got a point at Anfield as well. Um, so Gattuso has been saying, please don't put this on me because that was a different manager, different circumstances when we beat Liverpool. Um, you know, I'm just grateful to be here and I want to give us the best chance that we can get. But um, I think they secretly will be quite confident um, that they can get a result in this game right. um, to take it to the second leg because... Uh, and certainly, certainly going into the weekend before the Barcelona result and that messy performance, they were—I think—they were looking at it and thinking, actually, this is a lot more even mm. than many people thought it would be in December. Well, Barcelona has signed the player as well, but he cannot play in the Champions League. Cup tied, yeah, Martin Bradway. Yeah, Martin Bradway. Yeah. So basically, Barcelona has 14 squad players available for this game. Right. Uh, the likes of Sergi Roberto, Luis Suarez, Jordi Alba and Dembélé are out for the game and I would assume that at least three of those four would start for Barcelona in such an important game. All that said, Barcelona has uh, gotten four uh, wins in a row in La Liga and uh, they are in a good run of results and Lionel Messi the other day scored four goals right. and he had uh, a drought uh, when it came to scoring. He was assisting a lot but he couldn't scored for whatever the reason he was trying a lot shooting a lot for four games for four games yeah mm. and uh, finally he managed to score and this is the this is not the first time that he's scoring four goals in his career what I find astonishing is that he has done that for 10 years since the first time he scored four goals until today 10 years have passed that tells you that he's a player that consistently has been up there I think Barcelona is a strong now or stronger than they were at the beginning of January. Kike Setien started playing with a 3-5-2 at Barcelona and I think that the players persuade him and also he understood that the 4-3-3 is the best formation to play and Barcelona is the favorite but at the same time this game away is always tricky for Barcelona. I was checking some stats before and since winning the Champions League in 2015 and Barcelona have only won twice away in the knockout stages. Once against Arsenal in 2016 and the other one last season against Manchester United. Right. But one of the most famous defeats, of course, on the road came at the hands of this man. And of course he should be on the field this Tuesday because he's now at Napoli. He is indeed. Costas Manolas. Yeah, and a lot will ride on how well Costas plays because Kalidou Koulibaly is still going to be out injured. Um, and another couple of interesting decisions um, that Gattuso has made is the goalkeeper. He's dropped Alex Meret, who's one of the most talented young goalkeepers for David Ospina. And we all know that Ospina has got a mistake in him. And he's been very tough on Alan as well and Alan has been one of Napoli's best players for the last three or four years and uh, Gattuso hasn't liked how he's performed in training yeah there's been a lot of speculation about Alan's role in the 
mutiny um, as well and whether or not Napoli should have just sold him in January. So it looks like the first Diego to play for Napoli since Diego Maradona, Diego Deme, will be playing instead of Alan. Um, so I'm fascinated by this also because I think uh, Gattuso is a big fan of Kike Setien. So he's is been he? spying on him for five years. Has he? Uh, ever since he was at Las Palmas and is a big fan of how his teams play. I'm very surprised about that. I thought that Gattuso would like a better manager like Simeone <laughs> than Kike Setien. All that said, I'm back to the name of Fabian Ruiz. It was Kike Setien, the manager mm. who gave, gave him a chance in August 2017, I believe. Fabian played a friendly against Milan and he scored a beautiful goal and that player had been a little bit out of the radar for everyone in Spain and Kike Setien was like this guy is really good but actually can you produce this every week mm -hmm. he asked Fabian personally that and Fabian was like yeah let's go for it and uh, he made him a first team player and that was the breakthrough season for Fabian the 2017-2018 season and ever since he has become probably the hottest Spanish prospect uh, when it comes to midfielders because uh, the likes of Parejo, Cazorla, um, Iniesta is gone, they are already in their 30s and Fabian seems to be the, the next big midfielder in Spanish football. And, and flourishing under uh, Gennaro Gattuso. Julian Laurent's just joined us. Hi, Hello, Julian. guys. Hello. How was Paul Pogba? Not great, thank you. Really? Huh? Why no, not? It no, no, it was just right. like one of those commercial interviews, you know, where there's a lot of things you can't ask. So he was he was in a good mood and we had a lovely chat, but then they forced us to do the interview in English and that kind of stuff and you know. And but it's cool, it's Paris cool. born and bred boys. Exactly, yeah. Paris born and bred. Yeah, my English is not great. His English is not <laughs> great either. So but it will still be cool. You can read it on ESPN very soon, but yeah, it's Okay. It's one of those. Anyway, while you were doing that, we were having a nice old chat about uh, Napoli, Barcelona. Rafa's told us all about Chelsea, Bayern Munich. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about Martin Brathwaite, who, uh, whose arrival at Barcelona was so controversial. And uh, he actually contributed an assist. Yes. And Messi gave him a hug. He said, I'm never going to wash again. Mm -hmm. It was all very sweet. It went better than his unveiling did. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, he tried to do the same trick twice and uh, it never worked. Right. But then he did a couple of really good tricks. That, uh, did he? It, the whole yeah. thing looked quite but awkward. Then, no, nobody edited though. that. Nobody edited that and published that. Wednesday brings a Real Madrid clash with Man City. Ooh. And Leon against Juventus. How about we talk about those next? Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Ryan Cherky Claxon. Yes. Big man's in action, or he, at least we hope so. Wednesday, as Leon take on Juventus again. This is the fifth match in six years between these two sides. They're always at it. Leon rather scraped through, Jules, the group stage. They did. They are started they, well. Are they looking any more convincing these days? Not really. Rudy Garcia still has a few issues there. I mean, losing Memphis Depay, their best player, was always going to be a, a tough one to take. And Jeff Renadelaide as well, a, a very promising player for them, was another big blow. They recruited in, in January. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes, for example, the, the Brazilian under-23 international, is a very good player. But 
I don't think he's ready for a game of this magnitude so early on. So he will have to find a way. It seems that the 3-4-3 formation has Garcia's preference for this game. Garcia is very excited to face Juve again and he's been bigging up himself in the media this week about how he went to Italy and no one was watching Liga in Italy before and he was the first and still the last French manager to have managed in Italy and did so well and won his first 10 games and all that rubbish to try to hide the fact that he hasn't done as well as he should have done with this Lyon team. And this is a hell of a game for them. I think over the two ties, there's no doubt they're not going to go through, I think. But yeah. with, the, with the, fir- the first leg at home, I think they can cause a few issues to Juve maybe and like not concede a goal. I think that would be a good... A bit like they did with Barcelona last season. They drew nil-nil at home and they kind of looked mm. okay and then they lost 5 nil away and that was, that was it. And I, I would... I would think that this could be very similar to last season. Okay. How are Juve looking coming into this, James? I wouldn't say great. They've Uh, got Chiellini back. They've got Chiellini back. And as uh, Sadi pointed out at the weekend, when he's on the pitch, they haven't conceded. Thing is, he's only been on the pitch for one full game. And that was right at the start of the season. The other minutes he's talking about, final quarter of an hour against Brescia and the first 55 minutes of this game against Spal. Um, And it's true that I think they have missed his leadership, his aggression at the back. Um, But Juventus, there's a lot more expected of them come this stage of the season, certainly in terms of the performance, certainly in terms of what Maurizio Sarri can offer that's different to what Max Allegri was doing um, last year. It's true that their best performances have been reserved for the Champions League um, so far this season, although you know I'm always reluctant to read too much into the group stages. You know, Sarri himself has kind of said, oh, one of the reasons why um, we're perhaps not doing as well as many people thought we would be in the league this year, even though they're top, um, is is the fact that mentally after eight years, these players are, oh, keep winning the league. It's boring, isn't it? And they're saving themselves for the Champions League. Being able to turn it on and off is very difficult, mm. um, be it for Bayern come sort of February, March under Guardiola, be it for PSG when they get to the knockout stage. And I think in some respects with Juventus, I think some of those comments that Sally has made have not gone down well, particularly well with the Juventus hierarchy. It's quite interesting. Agnelli, the president, was on the radio today talking about the, um, the impact of the coronavirus and was opportunistically asked about Guardiola. And he said it'd be heresy not to think about Pep Guardiola. But no. but we're very we're very happy with Maurizio. Of course, Sarri. of course. Um, so they thought they would be playing better football, whatever that means, come this stage of of the season. And I kind of take Jules's point in that Leon are what in mid table at the moment. Yeah. But I think, uh, as we saw at the weekend, there was a time under Allegri where Juventus got in front and the game was over. And now that just isn't happening anymore. The game always feels. Like, it's not over, right until the very final whistle. Mm. Has there been much reaction in Italy to Emre Chan's strong showings, both against PSG, uh, but also domestically? I mean, he's almost transformed this Dortmund team. Not really, because I think they looked at the, the profile of the player and thought, maybe he isn't the answer to what we want from this Juventus midfield. And I think that isn't just exclusive to Emre Chan. I think they look at Matuidi and they think... Does he really fit in what Maurizio Sarri wants from a midfield? Does even Aaron Ramsey fit? I was just going to say, what do they think when they look at Aaron Ramsey? 
Well, I think they need to get goals from people other than Cristiano Ronaldo. And they haven't been getting enough goals from midfield so far this, this season. Um, that was a wonderful flowing move from back to front for Juventus and Ramsey's goal. Corre di bala all'altezza della tre quarti, poi in mezzo Ramsey a di rigore. Alza il pallone e segna! Pallonetto di Ramsey! Superisce in uscita! And that was probably Ramsey's most encouraging performance for a long, long time. Because already, although he started his last three games... There was certainly a time where he got injured and seemed to lose his place. And then they moved away from playing a 4-3-1-2 with him behind two strikers to 4-3-3. Then Douglas Costa gets injured, the winger who seemed to make that system work. And now he's playing as a number eight. And he seems to feel more comfortable in that number eight position than he was playing a little bit further forward. But yeah, I mean, again, Sarri has been ramming home this Lionel season. You expect me to play the football that I played at Napoli? I need the players that I had at Napoli to do that. I couldn't play the, the football I played at Napoli at Chelsea because I didn't have those Napoli players. I couldn't play it here at Juventus because I don't have those players. I have to adapt myself rather than the players adapt to me to the skill set that I've got available to me. And at the moment, this is what we're doing. Inspiring. Inspiring <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, All right. Okay, so uh, Leon taking on Juventus Wednesday. Meanwhile, uh, the game which a lot of people are calling the outstanding fixture of this midweek is Real Madrid against Man City. Woof. Real Madrid with Barcelona coming up at the weekend, Man City midweek, and all of a sudden, the wheels are coming off, Alvaro. Yes, and without Eden Hazard, because he suffered. Does matter? I mean, is he's, he going to make he much of a difference? All season, so yeah, sure yeah like... but uh, the speed up his recovery to be ready for this game right. against Manchester City for a reason. No one in Spain, if they haven't watched Premier League, knows how good Eden Hazard is because he has played no more than 15 games with Real Madrid and some of them were at the pre-season. Uh, he, probably he wasn't in his best form and uh, when he started playing well, he picked an injury against PSG. So he won't play probably for a couple of months and Real Madrid will have to do without him and they were doing very well without him and without Marco Asensio mm. and for the last three or four months because they managed to find the, the solidity in defence but they have lost it again, and there is no explicable reason for it. Uh, they just uh, started uh, conceding goals. Uh, it all started happening against Real Sociedad in the Cup, and ever since then, uh, they have loaned the leadership in La Liga. Barcelona is leading the table now, and there is another problem that uh, at the beginning no one talked about, but it's there. Real Madrid doesn't have the eagerness to score goals. They don't have players who have the eagerness of Cristiano Ronaldo. For Cristiano Ronaldo, scoring one goal wasn't enough. I think that the, the player with more eagerness to score at Real Madrid is probably Sergio Ramos, believe it or not. Yeah, because he goes to the corners thinking that he will score a goal or in the set pieces, he takes the penalties. Karim Benzema has scored only one league goal this year. The other day against Levante, Real Madrid played fantastically in the first half and Eden Hazard had a really good one-on-one. -on -one. Karim Benzema as well, Casemiro had a goal chance, but they just cannot score goals and it's very difficult to make it through in Champions League without scoring. Sounds like good news for Man City who's manager Pep Guardiola. This is kind of the competition that he can't get right despite having a wealth of, of players at his disposal. Rafi, you you just done a big piece on this on to what extent Pep has a Champions League complex. What was the verdict? There was not one clear answer. Um, it's obvious that some of these defeats were just a case of bad luck or coming up against a better side. It will happen in Champions League where the differences between teams are quite small. You have one of your big players out, as Bayern did a couple of times, and, and it's not quite enough. Uh, and you get knocked out or 
somebody like Thomas Müller misses a penalty in the semi-final against Atletico, you play outstandingly well, but there's one goal missing at the end. There is also, however, uh, a view that is shared by by some former players um, that perhaps sometimes he lost himself a little bit trying to, on the one hand, stay true to his very strong convictions and very well-defined playing style, but also when it comes to the details, adapting a lot to the opposition, especially in those big games. And certainly Müller seemed to be saying that sometimes Pep seemed a little bit torn and perhaps in that attempt to strike that balance, some of the message got a little bit lost when it then come to, came to explaining to the players exactly what they were trying to do. Um, so this could well have been a factor in some of these games but it certainly is not the overriding factor that we can look at every single defeat since 2011 and say right. it's because he was overthinking the games um, this this looks a really interesting one though not least because it's the first Champions League appearance <laughs> since UEFA announced the two year ban so Pep first time Pep against Zidane as well right as well but from Man City's point of view, I mean, the, the greatest protest they could possibly do, the greatest up yours to your wafer they could do would be to go and win the Champions yeah. League. And it's also likely to be his and their last chance to turn their Champions League form around for a year or two. How, how much do you fancy their chances, Jules? I, I think Real Madrid will knock them out. Oh. I, I just think they... Why? I, I think they're too solid. I, I know what... Alvaro has been saying about defensively. I think when they want to, they will turn up and they will be so strong defensively. Let's not forget that against Levante, Mendy was not playing a left back. And Marcelo has been, he's a great Real Madrid legend, but he's not the Marcelo. I mean, he's never been a very good defender anyway. He's been so good on the ball, but not so, so much defensively. Mendy has been very good defensively. And that back four with Carvajal, Varane and, and Ramos and Courtois, that back five, has been very solid when, when the team needed them to. Fede Valverde was on the bench against Levante as well. He will come back. He brings something very different to that team in terms of energy and power. And I just do think that this Real Madrid team over the two legs, I feel, would be too strong for City. I might be wrong. I just think they would be too strong. And I think City can lose against a team that plays with more intensity than them, like Liverpool, but also against a team that is far more efficient than them in both boxes and I do think that City create a lot of chances but don't take enough of them and defensively concede one chance and concede usually a goal and I just think against a team like Real Madrid even without Ronaldo that's too much I had a chance to speak to Tony Cross um, a couple of weeks ago about this and one of the interesting things he said was that of course we needed a bit of time to get over those 50 goals that no longer there now that Cristiano isn't there and also he, he referenced that eagerness that obsession to score goals that he brought to the table at the same time he seemed to say albeit in very careful terms that maybe collectively the team works a little bit harder and is a bit more solid as a result mm-hmm. and even enjoys the defensive side of things because they see that you actually get rewarded for it so he seemed to be saying that yes we have not quite the same firepower up front, but maybe we are slightly more evolved as a team. And um, it'd be very interesting, I think, to see if their possession game, which is, I think, one of the things that's a little bit underrated. We never think of Real Madrid necessarily as a possession team, but I think they have become a possession team. And that's one of the reasons why they have won so many things, certainly in Europe, whether they can dominate that against City, a team that, usually never get dominated possession-wise. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, sorry, Alvaro, if, if Zidane play with five in midfield, 
for that for that game, maybe even for both games. The good thing is that Zinedine Zidane is not is not a prisoner of any system. I mean, he has played with the four four two, with the four three three, and if he plays Vinicius, Gareth Bale, and Benzema up front, I wouldn't be surprised because he does so many rotations according to the rival and according to the game that. Uh, it's difficult to predict what Real Madrid you will see. Either the, the one that is slower with the ball, but with a good possession, or the one that is so frenetic and so quick with Gareth Bale, Vinicius, Benzema up front. And the fact that Fede Valverde was rested for the game against Levante tells you the high regard that Zinedine Zidane has for this player who started being a regular in the first team back in August, but he provides so much energy to the midfield as well. I don't want to point this out, Jules, but I will, is that I just think City are a little bit like PSG. Here we go. It's not well, their We don't cook our books. We don't cook our books. We don't cook our books. What was that training ground you saw? <laughs> no, no. no. Oh, it's a different, it's a different way of cheating. It's a different way of cheating. We don't cook the books. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Thursday sees the return of the Europa League. Boom. Boom. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Europa League, everybody. Last 32, second legs on Thursday. Uh, apart from Braga against Rangers, of course, that takes place on Wednesday. Uh, Rangers, wow, what a game that was. George, you weren't there for this. No, it's a shame. Rangers was... were 2-0 down at home to yeah. Braga and they won 3-2, which and is brilliant. Yeah, they've now conceded two away goals to Braga, which is less brilliant. So yeah. that's quite delicate. That's on Wednesday. And Yenis Hadji as well. Yeah. Wow. Right foot, left foot. You know, he's a Santi Cazola type of player. Very nice. You know, for someone whose dad yes. was only left, purely left-footed, I mean, he never used his right foot for anything, mm. to have a son that is so good with both feet, I think it's pretty amazing. Some teams have significant leads from the first legs, Wolves, Frankfurt, Inter and Basel. Other games look more delicately poised. Uh, Ghent and Roma. Uh, Roma only 1-0 up. Celtic and Copenhagen had a 1-1 draw. Man United, uh, who uh, are 1-1 with Bruges. Bruges, of course, who had that 2-2 draw against Real Madrid you know, in the Champions League earlier on. And other games too. It, one of the outstanding games from the, the first legs uh, was Getafe beating Ajax 2-0. Wow. Was there a huge reaction to that in uh, Spain? Yes, but no one was like, oh, we are so surprised that this has happened. We all know how good Getafe is in Spain. So, right. Yeah, they beat Ajax, and uh, according to Opta, the ball was in play only 42 minutes and 36 seconds. Right. Which is what I, I was telling you about Getafe against Athletic de Bilbao a couple of weeks ago. Basically, I sat down there to watch the game, and I felt that nothing had happened, because Getafe doesn't want anything to happen. Good. They lost this weekend against Sevilla, 3-0. Mm -hmm. Sevilla needed that victory, um, because they are also trying to qualify for Champions League. And I believe that uh, Getafe is going to try to play as less as possible against Ajax. With their means, they've got uh, some players that they can really hurt in the counter-attacks. The likes of Kennedy, for example, former Chelsea player. Mm -hmm. Or um, Cucurella, former left-back of Barcelona, who is really quick on that left wing. And I believe that Getafe was the favorite before the tire. Really? And no I, I think that Come he's on. even more now. Come on, man. Wow. He's well, the can... third team in the Spanish league. 
Yeah, Getafe were favourite against Ajax with the second leg in Amsterdam. You felt that yes. they were favourite. Yes. No, Seriously, man. you yeah. can see what happens in that second leg Thursday Ajax night. Lost, lost this weekend Ajax, as well against yeah, Heraklas in the league. Ajax mm. lost this weekend and uh, next weekend they are playing against AZ Alkmaar, mm-hmm. which is the second in the Eredivisie. So they've got a really tough week ahead of them. Right. Decisive week ahead of them. There you go. Thursday night anyway, uh, BT Sport will be showing you all those second legs of the last 32 matches in the Europa League. And from, I think, 5 to 8, we're going to be doing a goal show mm. of uh, the second set of eight matches, which includes Ajax Hetafe. Wow. OK, next up, Rafa, let's round up some of the stories not involving European midweek competition, some of the domestic tales that need telling. Sancho zu Hakimi, das könnte jetzt gefährlich werden. Hakimi, Ola, Tor! Ja. Super schnell gespielt, ein klasse herausgespielter Treffer von Borussia Dortmund in der 6. Hey. Minute. Erling Haaland, das 2 zu 0. Nobby Dickel's back, because Erling Haaland's back. What the hell? That's now 40 goals for the season. 40! Crazy stuff, James. Yes, in how many minutes? I don't know how, how many minutes. Do you know, two thousand. So that's a goal every fifty minutes. Five zero. Insane, is it? So this was, this was part of a two nil win over Werder Bremen at Werder Bremen, a game which also featured uh, Jaden Sancho picking up his fourteenth assist of the season in the league. Crazy. But even with that, they're four points off the top. Where Rafa is it now between RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich for the title? Well, Dortmund certainly don't think so. Right. Um, they still have Bayern in Dortmund to come. Ooh. And Axel Witzel gave a very interesting interview after that win at Bremen, which is very un Dortmund like because it was balanced, defensively solid, all the things we haven't seen from Dortmund in a long time. He said, uh, Well, we're not thinking about the title or anything, but we want to make sure we're close to Bayern uh, until they come back to us uh, in April. So they are quietly thinking ahead. Um, believing that if they can keep that distance to a reasonable uh, figure, then maybe they can surprise Bayern this Such year. Such a difficult place to go to the Signal Duna Park, as uh, PSG discovered just last mm. week, Angels. They did, they did. They were not very good. Women were, were good, were better. Haaland was good. I mean, what a club to support. What, I mean, what a life this is. It's just like the <laughs> amount of drama they created by themselves. Not even like, I mean, after the game, uh, Thomas Meunier, the uh, Belgian right back, saying like, no one told me I was on a yellow, so I didn't know I was going to be suspended if I got a yellow card again, which he did, so he was going to miss the second leg. Uh, Presnel Kimpembe's brother on social media insulted Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> Pro- like, properly insulted him. You're like, what the... F-? You know, um, you had Neymar saying like, I wanted to play. He he hasn't played the, the last four games before the, the first leg against Dortmund. He said, I wanted to play with the club, wanted to protect me. I don't understand why... You know, this is not what I wanted. Every game. But still, you know, <laughs> and then he was a bit short of match fitness, although he scored, but he, he was not very good. And then this weekend he was he was sent off at the end of the of the Bordeaux game. And then you obviously had the birthday party of Icardi, Cavani and, and Di Maria, who had obviously. a joint birthday party together, only forty eight hours after the Dortmund defeat. It was a great party, by the way. Great dancing well. half naked with Wanda sending all the videos and everything. I mean it's just like wow, what's Tuchel was very happy about that. Oh, God. Tuchel Leonardo as well, who had a word with the players in the dressing room. It's just, yeah, it's just it's just an incredible club, to be fair. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I don't even know the, what, what to say anymore, apart from, like, it's a constant circus, to be fair. 
and you can spend as much money as you want, have the best players, as many best players as you want. Mm. There's a moment where the lack of discipline and the lack of direction in the way of that club will always cost them, whoever they play against, even if they turn that game around against Dortmund, which they can, they can win 2-0 at home and Mm -hmm. qualify in two weeks' time. But yet, the problems will all still be there because at times it's an absolute joke. Was it not tactical to lose the first leg so they wouldn't have a lead to throw away Maybe. in the second leg? You know what? Actually, I did think... My first reaction was like, OK, Tuchel messed it up by going three at the back. He only told the players uh, in his team meeting three hours before kickoff, which I think was a huge mistake. To go for a back three when they, they almost never won every time he played the back three, mm. I think the seven games before the one at Dortmund... I don't understand why he did that and certainly a lot of the players, some of the big players, didn't understand it either. But maybe it's a bad thing for a good thing in your, in a way. Yeah, you keep telling yourself yeah, that. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Uh, Sunday <laughs> at the Parc des Princes, the uh, supporters with a big banner uh, asking the players if they deserve to wear PSG's colours. Find out, says the banner, on March the 11th. Yeah, and also carry your balls. They had the, oh, really? The yeah, carry yeah. your balls. Yeah, yeah. This is funny because this is the, the best period in PSG history at the same time. Yeah, and they also extended <laughs> their lead this weekend because Marseille lost for the first time in True. But again, in, in a very dramatic fashion, they beat Border 4-3. Again, right. they, they should have never been in so much trouble. Neymar getting sent off at the end. Cavani and Mbappé having an argument on the pitch because Mbappé felt Cavani should have crossed the ball to him. He didn't, but he did a few minutes later. But still, Mbappé was not happy. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, take your kids to the Jules, circus. I hear what you're saying about the formation, but... Were you a little bit surprised, struck, annoyed that PSG just didn't turn up? I mean, they just didn't play, they didn't compete, they had no character, no presence. And second question, um, are you worried that Mbappe is getting a bit Neymar-fied? Because he looked very uninvolved. Yeah, and he was the same on Sunday against Bordeaux as well, where every time he touched the ball, he tried to do something very like fancy and offensible and like what Neymar is doing but it's, this is not new this this has been the case since they both arrived at the club two and a half years ago I think that he has Mbappe has in his mind that Neymar is the example and the the guide and that he should follow in his footsteps and all of that and I think sometimes you're right it's completely counterproductive both for the team and also for Mbappe himself and then I, th- I thought everything was disappointed in that first leg, the way they played, the way they, the way Tuchel set them up individually in the games where you wanted or expected the big players to turn up. They didn't turn up, they didn't deliver. And even at 1-1, you thought, OK, now be clever and just shut the shop and just don't allow anything else. And three minutes later, Haaland scored the second, which is a great goal, but still, this should have never happened. And I still think... There's a bit of naivety in that team, which is hard to to believe and understand. And maybe a lack of talent and a lack of leadership somewhere on that pitch. Lack of Haaland, that's what it is. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mentioned the fact that uh, Marseille lost first game in how long? Four months. Four months. Against Nantes. Also saw headline writer's favourite, Nice Brest. Uh, that finished 2-2. <laughs> yeah, that finished. It was, it was great. Okay. Sexy football. All right, then. Uh, Rafa, you were going to tell us probably... About RB Leipzig's 5-0 win over Schalke. They played really well and uh, our friend uh, Christo Nkunku mm-hmm. had a great game of four assists. Nkunku like clockwork. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, Good you could stuff. say that. Yeah. All right. Um, but, but the biggest story is a non-football story in Germany. Yes. Yeah. Because there's been an ongoing problem, which I'm not sure you're aware of, 
between Dortmund fans and Dietmar Hopp, the benefactor of, of Hoffenheim. Uh, years ago, they protested against him. Uh, then um, you might just vaguely recall that Hoffenheim had this thing where they had a contraption at their ground that would emit a high-frequency noise to annoy the Dortmund fans who were shouting all this stuff about... Um, <laughs> Is this like the one they used at the Maracanã where it played the Looney Tunes music over these um, supporters? I think this one was more kind of like oral warfare-like. Right. I mean, no one was was injured, but it was very unpleasant. But the cl- this was actually put there by the club, was it? Well, by some rogue employee by the club oh. without the knowledge of anyone else at the club right. who then resigned. Anyway, so there's been a whole ongoing struggle between Dortmund fans who see it as uh, very untoward that somebody comes in as a millionaire or billionaire in his case, bankrolls this village club and takes them to the Bundesliga. As far as they're concerned, he personifies everything that is bad about kind of investor-led modern type football. And he has threatened them repeatedly with, uh, with sanctions. And at the last game, um, when 50 Dortmund fans or so were again singing Dietmar Hopp, you're the son of a so-and-so, he actually reported them to the police. And surprisingly, the police actually looked at all the video footage, identified some individual fans, took them to court. On what, and on what charge? On uh, insulting. Insulting. And um, they were, in the first instance, convicted. Also, because this had been a repeated problem, the German FA actually have banned Dortmund fans from going to Hoffenheim games for two years. You're kidding. So all fans are not allowed to go at all. Now, Borussia were playing Hoffenheim on Saturday. The Borussia Mönchengladbach fans, who are no friends of their um, fellow Borussia brothers from Dortmund, uh, put up a banner with Hopp's face in the crosshairs. Right which Dortmund fans used to show all these years ago, right. so it was come kind of a reference. This happened on a day when all Bundesliga clubs held a minute of silence in memory of the victims of the shooting attack, uh, right-wing terrorist shooting attack in Hanau, just outside Frankfurt. And even though this was like 60 minutes later, Max Eber, the Borussia Mönchengladbach, sporting director, and many media commentators felt that on this particular day, this was extremely bad taste to have somebody in the crosshairs. And he put it in a context which is perhaps a little bit unfair to the ultras, but nevertheless fed into this idea that they were out of order and shouldn't have done it. He certainly went over, tried to remonstrate them. Lars Stindl, the Borussia Mönchengladbach captain, also went over. They took down the banner, but the referee was prepared to even call the game off. And now this has led to a big debate about what is acceptable by way of insults and protests and so on, and what oversteps the line. And uh, I don't think they're necessarily easy answers, um, but it shows you just how sensitive the climate is at the moment in Germany. All right. There'll be some pretty wild off-field tales from Italy coming up next as we continue our roundup of the big stories around Europe. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. James, four City Air matches called off this weekend due to fears over the coronavirus, doubts over what's going to happen with next weekend fixtures, a lot of talk that the league may be forced to hold some or even all of the games behind closed doors because effectively a lot of uh, public meetings are being shut down now by un- uh, by the Italian government under emergency measures. When was yes. the last time you were in Italy again? <laughs> <laughs> last oh, week. Oh no! <laughs> 
It's a very complicated situation, James. I think it's unprecedented in many ways because um, we've had uh, games in a round of fixtures cancelled before because of uh, a tragedy out of... uh, Compassion for the victims, be it the Morandi Bridge disaster a couple of years ago in Genoa, be it the death of Davide Astori as well. With this, um, I think uh, it reflects the uncertainty at the moment in Italy as to whether this will stabilise. It may get better, it may get worse. Um, And Inter, for example, have been... Holding talks uh, with the league, the Italian Football Federation, um, who likewise have been talking to the government uh, about when they can replay this game against uh, Sampdoria, which was due to take place on Sunday night. And Inter look at their fixture list and like, we're jam-packed. At the moment, we're still in three competitions. We have to honour those competitions. We can't basically forecast when we might be out of one or how far we might go in one. So at the moment, uh, the only prospect of, of replaying that Samp game is right at the end of May when the season's already finished um, and the European Championship is at the door. And and that's another thing to consider here is that the, some games of the European Championship will be held in Italy, in mm. Rome. Mm. Um, and we should, I think, pose the question that for the moment, yes, Italy is the most affected country after China and South Korea when it comes to the coronavirus. But... I wouldn't expect it just to remain a problem for those three sure. countries. Um, and and having a, a truly continental competition um, in the summer um, in which uh, we play all over Europe um, is going to be a very, very complex situation unless there is some sudden um, solution or... Uh, this, this, the coronavirus, we find a way of containing it and yeah. dealing with it. No way of knowing where this is going to uh, end up. In the meantime, of course, huge doubts over uh, Inter's Europa League game coming up this Thursday, mm-hmm. which is uh, due to be held at San Siro against Ludogorets. They'll 2-0 up from the first leg. This weekend, Lazio did play. Juve did, as you mentioned, the uh, 2-1 victory over Brescia. Lazio stayed a point behind La Signora with a 3-2 win at Genoa, making it now 20 games unbeaten with Chido Immobile notching up his 27th goal of the campaign. That's his 27th league goal. That's just extraordinary. It is. It matches uh, the most uh, prolific season had by a player, at least up until this stage, which was uh, Juan Antonio Angelillo back in the late 50s. Um, and Lazio just keep going. And Simone Inzaghi isn't hiding uh, from the, the Scudetto talk. Uh, very much, it's not a forbidden word for him and his players. And um, just listening to Andrea Agnelli, um, the Juventus president today, um, saying that the fact that they didn't expect to be in the title race and have no expectation around them makes them dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think... It's a dream that this Lazio players um, believe in. They're not weighed down by that weight of expectation in the way that Inter are after appointing Conte, making the signings that they have done. And um, yeah, I, I, I wonder about the psychology of the title race now with Inter having not played at the weekend, being six points behind uh, Juventus, five points behind Lazio. Um, it looks like the Debbie d'Italia on Sunday um, will be played behind closed doors in Turin. Um, yeah, again, how will that um, impact how that game is played? I think this this is really having a, a huge effect on what is one of the most kind of gripping title races um, at the moment. And ultimately, yeah, 
public health comes first in all this. This is the priority because, um, as Arrigo Saki said, the yeah, football is the most important of the least important things. Nicely put, Arrigo. Yeah. Uh, Roma, just to mention, got their first home win in the league for more than two months. They beat Lecce with very much uh, Mkhitaryan at the star. <laughs> Lecce fans on their way to that game mm. had a pretty colourful trip. Did you follow this story at all? Well, so, I saw they were attacked by... Yeah, so basically they were driving up the, I think it's the A16... Uh, to Rome, minibuses of, of Lecce fans, and they overtake some uh, Bari supporters, and you know there are one or two insults out the car windows as they go by. Bari supporters decide they're not letting this one go, so they call to their friends who are in the coaches of Bari uh, fans, which are further up the road. So they basically pull their coaches across the motorway, blocking the entire road, and the Lecce fans arrive. There's about 50 Lecce fans, and there's now 200 uh, Bari supporters around them, and for about half an hour, they just go at it. It's just complete warfare. This is I about mid- fight or a fight like Chelsea and Spurs fans had on Saturday afternoon. I didn't see that one, but this is the this is midday on a Sunday afternoon. Incredible across three or four lanes of an Italian motorway, they basically pull the coaches across to block the motorway, and for half an hour, they just go at it. Yeah. And one of the Lecce minibuses is basically burnt. There's all these cars, all these cars oh. that happen to be there have got their tires ripped to pieces because they, uh, they didn't just put the coaches across the motorway; they threw nails down on the. <laughs> On the tarmac. It's incredible. I mean, one of the solutions, I say solutions, uh, contingency plans uh, to deal with uh, keeping the the season going whilst uh, Italy deals with the coronavirus um, at the moment was to actually play games in the south where where the virus is yet to... uh, uh, Not even to, the virus days. The, yeah, precisely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Agnelli said there could be some public order problems there. Well, uh, not referring to this, but still. Incredible. All right. After this, let's get a quick catch-up on Spain and Alvaro. We can hear why Atleti are suddenly doing really well. Para poner tercero al Atlético de Madrid. Para culminar la remontada en el Metropolitano. Para redondear una semana de felicidad. Alvaro, Atletico Madrid, you said they had no chance against Liverpool. Now look what's happened. Did I say 70-30? Maybe you did. All right. <laughs> Maybe. Still, but they, they, they had that victory in classic Atletico fashion, yes. like, you know, vintage stuff. And then this weekend, they're scoring buckets of goals. Well, they got three goals against Villarreal. Yes, because uh, the victory against Liverpool raised the spirits. But I tell you what, if they hadn't beaten Liverpool, I think they wouldn't have... Uh, overcome Paco Alcácer's goal because Villarreal scored first. But mm. now they ooze confidence. And Atletico de Madrid, I think that they are going to struggle against Liverpool because really? basically they are going to stay in their box for 60 or 70 minutes. And just if the ball is around there, it's going to be really difficult not to concede at some point. But the victory was very important because Atletico de Madrid feels that now they can, again, compete toe-to-toe with these teams, which is something that they needed to know after right. what happened in the Super Cup. They beat Barcelona, but not Real Madrid in the final. After what happened in the last games against Real Madrid. And uh, I think that Simeone has found, or is going to give more continuity, to put it some sort of way, to the defensive structure. We know who the defenders are, more or less, the ones that played against, uh, against uh, Liverpool, perhaps, with the inclusion of uh, Kieran Trippier. And then Thomas, Saul, and Coque in midfield. Right. So that's going to be how Atletico de Madrid lineup will start. Okay. And then the strikers up front will probably 
switch Correa eh, one day, Morata another one, Diego Costa another one, but I think that Simeone is going back to the basics again, and normally going back to the basics for him means having a seven-man solid structure, mm. and then attack whenever we have a chance to do it. João Felix, by the way, on the score sheet uh, on uh, the weekend against Villarreal, that's his first goal in almost five months. Elsewhere in the Liga, this weekend, uh, Valencia got beaten 3-0 by Real Sociedad. Wow, tough week for Valencia after getting absolutely yeah. taken apart by Atalanta 4-1 in the Champions League. A, a, a dreadful week for them. Uh, but Didn't they have expected goals higher than Atalanta? They did. Yes. Really? I was on Twitter with James uh, talking yeah. about that. I was saying that the game should have been 4-all. James said that Atalanta should have won 6-4. Anyway, oh my God, you, s- you, you know what? I, the one thing that I saw against... What, you, you disagree with the 4-4? No, I think maybe no, six yeah, was yeah. Unfair. no. I mean, we talked about this on Thursday after the yeah, game, yeah. and I, I, you know, I think we said similar things. But you know, four-one was the actual score. Yeah, yeah and, it was. And <laughs> oh, fair was so Fair play to Atalanta, but but there is something that oh, they I found magnificent. There, there, there is something that I found puzzling is the yes. fact that in the last twenty minutes of that game against Atalanta, Valencia had a player like Vaz who doesn't cross the ball well, and they had only one striker in the box with four or five Atalanta defenders, and the guy sending the cross, the delivery, always find the striker. Mm. And the Gamero and Maxi Gomez had clear chances, yeah. surrounded by four centre-backs. So Atalanta's defence that day was hopeful as well. well. That is the only thing that gives Valencia any hope. Right. The fact that against Atalanta, they saw that the opponent has plenty of flaws as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that Maxi Gomez chance, I think the cross came in actually from Ilicic. No? I mean, it, was, it was a bizarre bit of... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they're a um, they're a good time team, Atalanta. They don't care too much for no, they, the consequences. Also in Spain this weekend, Alvaro. Well, in Spain this weekend, Joaquin played. Joaquin scored the goal uh, for Real Betis, and he became the La Liga's fourth highest, uh, the player with the four most appearances. Fourth most appearances. Wow. In La Liga, yeah. how many? Uh, Joaquin has played four hundred and forty-two games in La Liga, right. which is really astonishing considering that he spent two years in Italy playing for Fiorentina. He's got uh, Eusebio, Raúl, and Zubizarreta in mm. front of him. What I find quite interesting about this list is that if you take the 20 players that have played more games in La Liga, they all started playing in the 80s. Perhaps because in La Liga players or the league didn't have as many games in the past. Or maybe because the players' careers were over effectively at the age of 30. Yeah. Many players from the past are not in this list. Yeah. But yeah, Joaquin is an example of uh, longevity. Uh, let's not forget that he played the World Cup in 2002. And uh, he's got one more year at Betis. So he will definitely uh, surpass Raúl in the list, who is the second. And he will be closer to Antonio Zubizarreta, who is up front with 80 more games than Joaquin. OK. Rafi, you have a question about La Liga. What happened to Rodrigo for him to get sent off in the reserves game? Well, in the, in the, sorry, not the reserves, the B team. And why does it affect his chances in the Clásico? Yeah, because Rodrigo got sent off uh, playing for Castilla, Real Madrid beat him, because he scored the goal and he celebrated that goal in front of the goalkeeper mm. to his face, basically. What did he do? He just shouted at the goalkeeper's face after scoring a goal huh. because the goalkeeper wanted to question him why he didn't uh, stop the game because uh, an opponent was on the floor allegedly with an injury. I think that that was the, the case. And Rodrigo scored the goal. He didn't like that. The goalkeeper went to him in an inquisitive way. And, <laughs> and, and yeah. Never uh, expect inquisitive way in Spain. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> 
and he won't be playing the Clásico. He won't be playing the Clásico because he got uh, two yellows for that action. Wow. Number one for shouting at the goalkeeper. Number two mm. for not liking getting the first yellow card. And he will be missing El Clásico, which uh, will be happening on the 1st of March, Sunday at 8 p.m. UK time. Okay. That Rodrigo thing. So basically the keeper comes over and he just kind of waves his hands like and gets a yellow card for it. That's wrong. Unsporting conduct, James. Wow. Yeah. Okay, next up, hey, we're going to go to Turkey. But first, Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. It's producer Ben, and I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it's a huge week in the Champions League again, and let's start with Napoli. Um, can Gattuso's men do it and knock out Barcelona? God, I'm still getting used to the fact that he's manager at Napoli. Weird. But he's doing well, clearly, as they've beaten each of the top three in Italy over the last month or so. Beating Barcelona, though, is still beyond them, according to our odds makers. We make it 11-5 to at the home side win in Naples, with Barcelona the 6-5 to favourites. That the Catalans are better than evens, though, is testament to Napoli's form. The draw here is 5-2, Barcelona are 1-4 to to qualify. All right, moving on to Liverpool. Uh, Jurgen Klopp thinks that Juve are the favourites for the Champions League this season, but what say you at PP? We say stick to football management, Jürgen. You're pretty good at that. Your bookmaking skills seem to leave something to be desired. Although, if you fancy doing a bit of spokesperson work, this slot is very much available. Wouldn't take much to upgrade in the current incumbent either. We make Juventus 11-1 to to win the Champions League, which puts them as sick favourites in our betting behind Man City, Liverpool, Bayern, Barcelona and PSG. Not a bad list. Klopp, of course, can afford to play his brilliant reserve team in the league and keep his big guns for Europe. Not that that worked against Atleti last week, though. And finally, sticking with the old lady, they've got a huge game with Inter on Sunday. How's this one going to play out? Hmm, a juicy one. The type of game that I find very difficult to call. Which is probably why our odds go a little route one here. Juventus, the reigning champions at home, are 10-11 to favourites to win this, as you might expect. Inter are given a 13-5 to chance of winning with the draw 12-5. to that Cristiano Ronaldo fellow is odds on to score and break the score record the guys have been talking about. However, we make one all the most likely scoreline. Very number wang. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Super League in Turkey. It's been a mad season. The big sides outside the top positions. Newly promoted Sivaspor leading the way. Sunday then saw the Intercontinental Derby, no, not that one, Fenerbahce from the Asian side of the Bosphorus against Galatasaray from the European side. And an extraordinary game. Uh, Rory Smith was there, and excitingly, he's now here on the line. Hello, Rory. Hello, James. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. Listen, thanks for joining us. Uh, What made you go along to see uh, this Fenerbahce-Galatasaray clash? Uh, well, basically what you've just said, I think it's really interesting that in Turkey this year, you've got Sivaspor who are top, Trabzonspor was uh, sort of second, third, you've got Istanbul, Bashatya here as well, who are trying to compete for the title. And it's very strange that in a country where the Istanbul bid three dominates so much that you've seen all three of them struggle. And I, I kind of wanted to go out and find find out why. And I figured that if I was in a jail, I might as well go and take in a game or two. So I went to see Bashitas Trabzonspor on... Saturday night, which is which, who were the other two two members of Turkey's bid for, uh, and then the the intercontinental derby on uh, Sunday night was too good an opportunity to miss. Brilliant, and it turned out to be quite a match, three one for Galatasaray, which is actually for you know for all that talk of them being outside the top positions, they are now back in a three way tie for top spot. Uh, it's uh, it, it's them, Sivaspor, and Trabzonspor all level on points. 
Yeah, and they're the reigning champions. And I think from this point on, you probably have to say they're favourites to win the title. Although there's a there's a feeling in Turkey that that Trabzonspor might be best placed to do it, who are a kind of traditional giant, but not on the same level as, as Gala, Fener and Besiktas. But I think that, that for all three of them, the horizons have shrunk quite a lot from where they were when, when you had Didier Drogba and Wesley Schneider at Galatasaray, and you had Robin Van Persie at Fenerbahce, and Dembabar at Besiktas, maybe a slight level below that. All three have fallen some way in the last four or five years. Their record in the Champions League is really poor. Uh, and I think there is there are fundamental kind of structural issues in Turkish football that need sorting out. There's a, a great viral clip of uh, Galatasaray fans smashing up their apartment after Onyekuru's miss uh, for Gala uh, in the derby on Sunday. What was the atmosphere like in the stadium? It, it doesn't let you down, I have to say. <laughs> the, the Intercontinental derby lives up to expectations. I've never been to a game that was quite so fractious. I apologise for the... Um, that's the German police coming past. I do apologise. Uh, the... Uh, I'm in Frankfurt. The German police aren't right. in Turkey. Yeah. I should I should highlight that. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it was a really fractious game. I mean, there must have been a foul every 30 seconds. It, it was not a sort of great flowing match of football. The um, the noise is incredible. Everyone sort of warned me beforehand. Sort of take earplugs, make sure you you know you cover your ears. You'll like, you'll come out deaf sort of thing. And you, you go inside the the, the, the sort of room, and it is it is really really noisy. And I think what's what's most sort of striking about it to an English ear is that it's constant. It's not, it's not kind of big waves of noise when something exciting happens. It's just this constant beat of noise that doesn't really drop until Galatasaray go 2-1 up and threaten to win a game. Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, all the news you need to know from the continent, including Serie goes viral, the misery of supporting PSG, how Atleti got good, and crossing Turkey off your bucket list. All that plus, of course, Champions League previews in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, thank you for joining us for our continental edition. Woohoo! We've got some good times ahead of us today with the whole gang. Everybody's here. Uh, we've got Alvaro Romeo. Hi, Alvaro. Hello. Hola. Hola, hola. Buenas tardes. Raphael Honigstein's here. Hi. Hi, Raph. James Horncastle putting in an appearance. And we're told Julian Arons is going to be inbound. Where's Julian right now, James? He's on the phone, James. With? To somebody else. Yeah. To a player. Or a guy PP. Who... PP. Paul yeah. Pogba. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. All right. Well, he'll be, he'll be with us very shortly, hopefully, because we've got a lot to discuss and uh, a lot of fringe angles, of course, on the uh, the big talking points today. Uh, can we get a quick roundup of some of the big stories that are going to be coming towards our listener over the next hour? Alvaro. Yeah, Barcelona tops La Liga table ahead of El Clásico and after... Uh... A catastrophic uh, couple of months uh, when it comes to club affairs. So the fact that they are leading the table is tremendously surprising. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Rafa, in Germany? Well, in the table, actually, it's it's all as it were, James. Right. Um, or as you were. Uh, Bayern won, albeit uh, in a very scruffy fashion, sloppy fashion, against Paderborn. Dortmund won in a very impressive fashion over to Bremen and Leipzig 5-0 at Schalke. But the hottest um, point of 
discussion was a anti-Dietmar Hopp banner. Hopp is the owner, well, the de facto owner, the benefactor of Hoffenheim. Borussia Mönchengladbach fans put up a banner with him in the crosshairs. The game was interrupted by the referee and uh, the Gladbach officials and even the captain went over and got the fans to remove this banner and there's a whole history because of what happened with Dortmund and uh, there's a lot of fallout from that. Right. Okay, we'll hear, we'll hear more about that. Dramatic. James? Well, there's only one story, really, I suppose, in Italy, which is, as the front page of Gazzetta della Sport said on Monday, the Scudetto has been quarantined because of outbreaks of the coronavirus, uh, particularly in the north of Italy. It meant four games were postponed. Uh, however, Juventus did still play against Spal on Saturday night and Cristiano Ronaldo matched uh, the record established by Gabriel Battistuta and Fabio Quagliarelli scored his 11th consecutive appearance mm. um, in Serie A and will perhaps or maybe not get the opportunity to break it um, this weekend, this coming weekend in the Derby d'Italia against Inter. Right, also on the score sheet for Juve, Aaron Ramsey. Nice to see him back at it. All right, Jules isn't here for his French headline, but it's going to involve, what, PSG winning? So we'll hear more about <laughs> that kind of thing. sent off. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, brilliant. Looking forward to that. Big story, of course, midweek is going to be another set of Champions League matches. On Tuesday, Chelsea taking on Bayern while Napoli hosts Barcelona. And that's where we begin our European roundup. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Right, Chelsea taking on Bayern at Sanford Bridge. Napoli and Barcelona simultaneously having their first ever meeting in a competitive fixture. Which one are you going to be watching, Rafa, and why? Well, I'll be at Stamford Bridge to right. see Bayern Munich take on Chelsea. Uh, Bayern love travelling to London, of course. Um, lots of uh, big wins for them in recent years. Uh, but not against Chelsea. Uh, last time they were here, 15 years ago, they, of course, uh, were knocked out in the quarterfinals by Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Was that the day that he hid in the, yes. the laundry basket? Yes, exactly that. Mm. And it should be interesting. I mean, Chelsea have all the characteristics that could make it difficult for Bayern because they have very pacey, very energetic and sort of annoying forwards that can put pressure on, on Bayern's back line and disrupt their game. But at the same time, of course, we have seen Chelsea being vulnerable and giving away chances and not looking 100% like the finished product. So Bayern, I think, will feel that while Chelsea are not to be underestimated, they should have a decent chance of going through and should probably over the course of the 180 minutes if not more have just a little bit too much in terms of depth in terms of experience in terms of quality so they're quietly confident in Munich that this is not going to be the end of their Champions League the fact that this is of course a, a, a rematch of the 2012 final is that saying that's a big deal for Bayern beating finalists that that time not really I mean there's some survivors still in in that team um, Neuer is there uh, Müller is there, but really um, it bears very little uh, relevance to what's happening. Um, the fact that Bayern managed to win in 2013 and told themselves, this is so part of the mythology now of the club, that the 2012 defeat spurred them on and made them stronger and mm. made them go all the way the year after, uh, has put a very different slant on things. So it's not nearly as traumatic and as big a deal now to think back of 2012. I mean, the players, when when they were asked on Friday night repeatedly, they got a little bit annoyed thinking, you know, do I really have to talk about 2012 again? Um, but 
deep down, I don't think there's any great sense of this is revenge or, you know, this is now a possibility to overcome your trauma or anything like that. Um, it's too far away and it's it's been tempered by what happened in 2013. Yeah, I was at Stanford Bridge on Saturday and I think that Frank Lampard doesn't know yet what his best lineup is, uh, which is something that uh, will probably be interesting to see if he goes for, for pace with wingers or if he plays with Mason Mount and Ross Barkley behind a lone striker. And I think that the, the absence of N'Golo Kanté is going to be missed because I believe that he's not ready for this game. And Jorginho, um, he was running the show the other day against uh, Tottenham and I think that he's one of the players that has improved more over the last uh, couple of months. All that said, Bayern is overwhelmingly favourite for this game because Chelsea is not even better than last season, I believe. And they were playing in Europa League. And Bayern probably are as good as last season and they have improved a lot over the last couple of months. In the group stages, Bayern's numbers were the best the Champions League has ever seen. Six wins, a goal difference of plus 19. Massive wins over Spurs, over Red Star Belgrade, Olympiacos as well. Why aren't they huge favourites? Why isn't everyone talking about Bayern for the Champions League, Raf? I guess it's because we haven't seen them um, make another final since Pep went. They came close under Jupankis against Real Madrid uh, only um, one and a half years ago, 2018. They, they did it really well in that uh, second leg and pushed Real Madrid all the way. But ultimately, uh, we haven't seen them in the final in, in almost 10 years now. So I think they're just a little bit off the radar. Um, they're not seen as, I think, as stable enough, as um, quite as um, consistent enough as they have been. Certainly when, when Guardiola was there, I mean, even Thomas Müller, I talked to him for an interview in The Athletic. He said, you know, since Pep has left, it's been a little bit Wild West at Bayern. You, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, we don't have the same control. We can play good stuff, but we can also be yeah, a little bit disorganized. And Hansi Flick, I think, has done well to at least suggest that he can take Bayern back towards that control, towards that very clearly defined identity that put them at the top of European football, albeit briefly. And it's very interesting to see Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, chief executive, speak about the debt that the club owed in modern times to Hitzfeld, Van Gaal, Pep and Heinkes, and then saying almost immediately that he sees Hansi Flick in a position to perhaps bring Bayern back to that, that sort of style and that sort of identity. And that was very important for Bayern to have that style and that identity in brackets because we didn't have it under Niko Kovac. They're doing their best, I think, to back him and to put him in a position where he can really claim this job now. But in order to do that, he needs to be very convincing, not just against Chelsea, but also against a possible opposition in the uh, quarterfinals. Meanwhile, while all that's going on, uh, a long way to the south at the San Paolo in Naples, and Napoli will be taking on Barcelona in what is clearly the Maradona a derby. Let's zoom in on their issues for a second. Both managers making their Champions League debut. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. And w- when the draw was made, I don't think many people would have given Gennaro Gattuso's Napoli much chance against uh, Barcelona. Uh, how about now, James? Well, it was curious listening to Gattuso after Friday night's win in Brescia, which was their sixth win in seven games in all competitions, because he was saying our objectives get to 40 points, which is the kind of argument that a coach makes when a team is fighting against relegation. And that was put to him and he said, well, look, the situation that I came into here was very delicate indeed in terms of 
the fines that had been levied against the players as a punishment for the strike against Carlo Ancelotti following the um, Salzburg game um, and picking players up, making them put that to the back of their minds has been very difficult. And he's repeatedly said over the last few weeks that this issue of um, the club basically taking this course of action against the players has been a huge obstacle for them to get over. I mean, watching them, for example, getting those results in the Coppa Italia, beating Lazio, Mm. beating Juventus, the win on Friday, and you're thinking a lot of these players are actually being taken to court by their own club that they're on this run of results is quite amazing. It is, and I think uh, Gattuso deserves some credit for basically helping them compartmentalise um, what has been an unprecedented um, set of circumstances. Um, and he's got Lorenzo Insigne performing. Insigne, who'd really fallen out of favour and fallen out with Carlo Ancelotti, was being left out not only of the, the starting eleven but sometimes the squad for their Champions League games. He now is becoming the leader that I think a lot of people want him to be for Napoli. He's particularly in that first half against Brescia was the only player who was kind of trying to take the team by the scruff of the neck and he scored the winning goal in the league win against Juventus and uh, the winning goal against Lazio in the cup as well which knocked out the the holders of that competition and Gattuso has gone back to basics. There's none of the kind of tinkering with the team that Ancelotti would do which was playing players in lots of different positions changing it from week to week and the team kind of suffering um, for for that this time it's just 4-3-3 I think there'll be a lot of Spanish attention on Fabian Ruiz because Fabian who kind of disappeared in the first half of the season is now beginning to come good scored a wonderful goal yeah, at San Siro against, against Inter and oh, Brescia, against Brescia as well yeah. um, so he is getting a tune out of this team. And again, to go to your point, James, about moving on from this 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 fact that the club is taking the action against the players that it is, a lot of the players know that they're not going to be there in the summer. So mm. they could just, I'm not going to say down tools, but the club has signed a load of players in January. So the team is stronger for that right. as well. But they've also signed players for next season as well. You know, Pitania, Rachmani. Um, so it's clear that there is going to be a clear out and a complete change at Napoli. But this is the kind of game that I think really focuses the mind. And we mentioned the big games that they've won of late. They didn't lose to Liverpool in the group stages. They beat them at the San Paolo and they they, they got a point at Anfield as well. Um, so Gattuso has been saying, please don't put this on me because that was a different manager, different circumstances when we beat Liverpool. Um, you know, I'm just grateful to be here and I want to give us the best chance that we can get. But um, I think they secretly will be quite confident um, that they can get a result in this game right. um, to take it to the second leg because uh, and certainly certainly going into the weekend before the Barcelona result and that messy performance they were, I think they were looking at it and thinking actually this is a lot more even mm. than many people thought it would be in December Barcelona has signed the player as well but he cannot play in the Champions League cup tied, yeah Martin Bradway yeah, Martin Bradway yeah so basically Barcelona has 14 squad players available for this game. Right. Uh, the likes of Sergi Roberto, Luis Suarez, Jordi Alba and Dembélé are out for the game. And I would assume that at least three of those four would start for Barcelona in such an important game. All that said, Barcelona has uh, gotten four uh, wins in a row in La Liga. And uh, they are in a good run of results. And Lionel Messi the other day scored four goals. Right. And he had uh, a drought uh, when it came to scoring. He was assisting a lot, but he couldn't score for whatever the reason. He was trying a lot, shooting a lot. For but four games. For four games, yeah. Mm. And uh, finally he managed to score. And this is the 
it's not the first time that he's scoring four goals in his career. What I find astonishing is that he has done that for 10 years. Since the first time he scored four goals until today, 10 years have passed. That tells you that he's a player that consistently has been up there. I think Barcelona is strong now, or stronger than they were at the beginning of January. Kike Setien started playing with a 3-5-2 at Barcelona, and I think that the players persuade him, and also he understood that the 4-3-3 is the best formation to play, and Barcelona is the favorite, but at the same time, this game away is always tricky for Barcelona. I was checking some stats before, and since winning the Champions League in 2015, Barcelona have only won twice away in the knockout stages. Once against Arsenal in 2016, and the other one last season against Manchester United. Right. But one of the most famous defeats, of course, on the road came at the hands of this man. And of course, he should be on the field this Tuesday because he's now at Napoli. He is indeed. Costas Manolas. Yeah, and a lot will ride on how well Costas plays because Kalidou Koulibaly is still going to be out injured. Um, and another couple of interesting decisions um, that Gattuso has made is the goalkeeper. He's dropped Alex Meret, who's one of the most talented young goalkeepers for David Ospina. And we all know that Ospina has got a mistake in him. And he's been very tough on Alan as well and Alan has been one of Napoli's best players for the last three or four years and uh, Gattuso hasn't liked how he's performed in training yeah there's been a lot of speculation about Alan's role in the mutiny um, as well and whether or not Napoli should have just sold him in January so it looks like the first Diego to play for Napoli since Diego Maradona Diego Deme will be playing instead of Alan um, so I'm fascinated by this also because I think uh, Gattuso is a big fan of Kike Setien says he's is been he? spying on him for five years. Has he? Uh, ever since he was at Las Palmas and is a big fan of how his teams play. I'm very surprised about that. I thought that Gattuso would like a better manager like Simeone <laughs> than Kike Setien. All that said, I'm back to the name of Fabian Ruiz. It was Kike Setien, the manager mm. who gave, gave him a chance in August 2017, I believe. Fabian played a friendly against Milan and he scored a beautiful goal. And that player had been a little bit out of the radar for everyone in Spain. And Kike Setien was like, this guy is really good, but actually, can you produce this every week? Mm -hmm. He asked Fabian personally that. And Fabian was like, yeah, let's go for it. And uh, he made him a first team player. And that was the breakthrough season for Fabian, the 2017-2018 season. And ever since, he has become probably the hottest Spanish prospect uh, when it comes to midfielders. Because uh, the likes of Parejo, Cazorla... Mm, Iniesta is gone, they are already in their 30s and Fabian seems to be the, the next big midfielder in Spanish football. And, and flourishing under uh, Gennaro Gattuso. Julien Laurent has just joined us. Hi, Hello, Julian. guys. Hello. How was Paul Pogba? Not great, thank you. Really? Uh, Why no, not? Wasn't. No, no, it was just right. like one of those commercial interviews, you know, where there's a lot of things you can't ask. So he was, he was in a good mood and we had a lovely chat, but then... They forced us to do the interview in English and that kind of stuff, and you know, and but it's cool. It's Paris cool. born and bred boys, exactly. Yeah, Paris born and bred. Yeah, my English is not great. His English is not <laughs> great either. So, but it will still be cool. You can read it on ESPN very soon. But yeah, it's okay. It's one of those. Anyway, while you were doing that, we were having a nice old chat about uh, Napoli, Barcelona. Rafa's told us all about Chelsea. Bayern Munich, yeah. uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about Martin Brathwaite, who, uh, whose arrival at Barcelona was so controversial 
And uh, he actually contributed an assist. Yes. And Messi gave him a hug. He said, I'm never going to wash again. Mm -hmm. It was all very sweet. It, it went better than his unveiling did. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, he tried to do the same trick twice and uh, it never worked. Right. But then he did a couple of really good tricks. That, uh, did he? It, the whole yeah. thing looked quite but awkward. Then, no, nobody edited go. that. Nobody edited that and published that. Wednesday brings a Real Madrid clash with Man City. Ooh, and Leon against Juventus. How about we talk about those next? Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Ryan Cherky Claxon. Yes. Big man's in action, or he, at least we hope so. Wednesday, as Leon take on Juventus again. This is the fifth match in six years between these two sides. They're always at it. Leon rather scraped through, Jules, the group stage. They did. They are started they, well. Are they looking any more convincing these days? Not really. Rudy Garcia still has a few issues. They, I mean, losing Memphis Depay, their best player, was always going to be a, a tough one to take. And Jeff Renadelaide as well, a, a very promising player for them, was another big blow. They recruited in, in January. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes, for example, the, the Brazilian under-23 international, is a very good player, but I don't think he's ready for a game of this magnitude so early on. So he would have to find a way. It seems that the 3-4-3 formation has Garcia's preference for this game. Garcia is very excited to face Juve again and he's been bigging up himself in the media this week about how he went to Italy and no one was watching Liga in Italy before and he was the first and still the last French manager to have managed in Italy and did so well and won his first 10 games and all that rubbish to try to hide the fact that he hasn't done as well as he should have done with this Lyon team. And this is a hell of a game for them. I think over the two ties, there's no doubt they're not going to go through, I think. But really? with, the, with the, fir the first leg at home, I think they can cause a few issues to Juve maybe and like not concede a goal. I think that would be a good... A bit like they did with Barcelona last season. They drew nil-nil at home and they kind of looked mm. okay and then they lost 5 nil away and that was, that was it. And I, I, would, I would think that this could be very similar to last season. Okay. How are Juve looking coming into this, James? I wouldn't say great. They've got uh, Chiellini back. They've got Chiellini back, and as uh, Sadi pointed out at the weekend, when he's on the pitch, they haven't conceded. thing is, he's only been on the pitch for one full game, and that was right at the start of the season. The other minutes he's talking about, final quarter of an hour against Brescia and the first 55 minutes of this game against Spal. Um, and it's true that I think they have missed his leadership, his aggression at the back. Um, but Juventus... There's a lot more expected of them come this stage of the season, certainly in terms of the performance, certainly in terms of what Maurizio Sarri can offer that's different to what Max Allegri was doing um, last year. It's true that their best performances have been reserved for the Champions League um, so far this season, although you know I'm always reluctant to read too much into the group stages. You know, Sarri himself has kind of said, oh, one of the reasons why... Um, we're perhaps not doing as well as many people thought we would be in the league this year, even though they're top, um, is is the fact that mentally after eight years, these players are, oh, keep winning the league, it's boring, isn't it? 
and they're saving themselves for the Champions League. Being able to turn it on and off is very difficult, mm. um, be it for Bayern come sort of February, March under Guardiola, be it for PSG when they get to the knockout stage. And I think in some respects with Juventus, so I think some of those comments that Sadi has made have not gone down well, particularly well with the Juventus hierarchy. It's quite interesting. Agnelli, the president, was on the radio today talking about the, um, the impact of the coronavirus and was opportunistically asked about Guardiola. And he said it'd be heresy not to think about Pep Guardiola. But no. but we're very we're very happy with Maurizio. Of course, Sarri. of course. Um, so they thought they would be playing better football, whatever that means, come this stage of of the season. And I kind of take Jules's point in that Leon are what in mid table at the moment. Yeah. But I think uh, as we saw at the weekend, there was a time under Allegri where Juventus got in front and the game was over. And now that just isn't happening anymore. The game always feels. Like it's not over right until the very final whistle. Mm. Has there been much reaction in Italy to Emre Chan's strong showings, both against PSG, uh, but also domestically? I mean, he's almost transformed this Dortmund team. Not really, because I think they looked at the the profile of player and thought maybe he isn't the answer to what we want from this Juventus midfield. And I think that isn't just exclusive to Emre Chan. I think they look at Matuidi and they think. Does he really fit in what Maurizio Sarri wants from a midfield? Does even Aaron Ramsey fit? I was going to say, what do they think when they look at Aaron Ramsey? Well, I think they need to get goals from people other than Cristiano Ronaldo. And they haven't been getting enough goals from midfield so far this, this season. Um, that was a wonderful flowing move from back to front for Juventus and Ramsey's goal. And that was probably Ramsey's most encouraging performance for a long, long time. Because already, although he started his last three games... It was certainly a time where he got injured and seemed to lose his place. And then they moved away from playing 4-3-1-2 with him behind two strikers to 4-3-3. Then Douglas Costa gets injured, the winger who seemed to make that system work. And now he's playing as a number eight. And he seems to feel more comfortable in that number eight position than he was playing a little bit further forward. But yeah, I mean, again, Sarri has been ramming home this Lionel season. You expect me to play the football that I played at Napoli? I need the players that I had at Napoli to do that. I couldn't play the, the football I played at Napoli at Chelsea because I didn't have those Napoli players. I couldn't play it here at Juventus because I don't have those players. I have to adapt myself rather than the players adapt to me to the skill set that I've got available to me. And at the moment, this is what we're doing. Inspiring. Inspiring <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, All right. Okay, so uh, Leon taking on Juventus Wednesday. Meanwhile, uh, the game which a lot of people are calling the outstanding fixture of this midweek is Real Madrid against Man City. Woof. Real Madrid with Barcelona coming up at the weekend, Man City midweek, and all of a sudden, the wheels are coming off Alvaro. Yes, and without Eden Hazard, because he Does suffered. Does matter? I mean, is he going to make he much of a difference? all season, so yeah. surely Yeah, it's but like... uh, the speed up his recovery to be ready for this game right. against Manchester City for a reason. No one in Spain, if they haven't watched Premier League, knows how good Eden Hazard is because he has played no more than 15 games with Real Madrid and some of them were at the pre-season. Uh, he, probably he wasn't in his best form and uh, when he started playing well, he picked an injury against PSG. So he won't play probably for a couple of months and Real Madrid will have to do without him and they were doing very well without him and without Marco Asensio mm. and for the last three or four months because they managed to find the, the solidity in defence. 
but they have lost it again, and there is no explicable reason for it. Uh, they just started uh, conceding goals. Uh, it all started happening against Real Sociedad in the Cup, and ever since then, uh, they have loaned the leadership in La Liga. Barcelona is leading the table now, and there is another problem that uh, at the beginning no one talked about, but it's there. Real Madrid doesn't have the eagerness to score goals. They don't have players who have the eagerness of Cristiano Ronaldo. For Cristiano Ronaldo, scoring one goal wasn't enough. I think that the, the player with more eagerness to score at Real Madrid is probably Sergio Ramos, believe it or not. Yeah, because he goes to the corners thinking that he will score a goal or in the set pieces, he takes the penalties. Karim Benzema has scored only one league goal this year. The other day against the Levante, Real Madrid played fantastically in the first half. And uh, Eden Hazard had a really good one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, Karim Benzema as well. Casemiro had a goal chance. But they just cannot score goals. And it's very difficult to make it through in Champions League without scoring. Sounds like good news for Man City, whose manager Pep Guardiola. Uh, this is kind of the competition that he can't get right, despite having a wealth of, of players at his disposal. Rafi, you you just done a big piece on this, on... To what extent Pep has a Champions League complex? What was the verdict? There was not one clear answer. Um, it's obvious that some of these defeats were just a case of bad luck or coming up against a better side. It will happen in Champions League where the differences between teams are quite small. You have one of your big players out, as Bayern did a couple of times, and, and it's not quite enough. Uh, and you get knocked out or... Somebody like Thomas Müller misses a penalty in the semi-final against Atletico. You play outstandingly well, but there's one goal missing at the end. There is also, however, uh, a view that is shared by, by some former players um, that perhaps sometimes he lost himself a little bit trying to, on the one hand, stay true to his very strong convictions and very well-defined playing style, but also when it comes to the details, adapting a lot to the opposition, especially in those big games. And certainly Müller seemed to be saying that sometimes Pep seemed a little bit torn and perhaps in that attempt to strike that balance, some of the message got a little bit lost when it then come to, came to explaining to the players exactly what they were trying to do. Um, so this could well have been a factor in some of these games but it certainly is not the overriding factor that we can look at every single defeat since 2011 and say right. it's because he was overthinking the games um, this this looks a really interesting one though not least because it's the first Champions League appearance <laughs> since UEFA announced the two year ban so Pep first time Pep against Zidane as well right as well but from Man City's point of view, I mean, the, the greatest protest they could possibly do, the greatest up yours to UEFA they could do would be to go and win the Champions yeah. League. And it's also likely to be his and their last chance to turn their Champions League form around for a year or two. How, how much do you fancy their chances, Jules? I, I think Real Madrid will knock them out. Oh. I, I just think they... Why? I, I think they too solid. I, I know what... Alvaro has been saying about defensively. I think when they want to, they will turn up and they will be so strong defensively. Let's not forget that against Levante, Mendy was not playing a left back. And Marcelo has been, he's a great Real Madrid legend, but he's not the Marcelo. I mean, he's never been a very good defender anyway. He's been so good on the ball, but not so, so much defensively. Mendy has been very good defensively. And that back four with Carvajal, Varane and, and Ramos and Courtois, that back five, has been very solid when, when the team needed them to. Fede Valverde was on the bench against Levante as well. He will come back. He brings something very different to that team in terms of energy and power. 
And I just do think that this Real Madrid team over the two legs, I feel, would be too strong for City. I might be wrong. I just think they would be too strong. And I think City can lose against a team that plays with more intensity than them, like Liverpool, but also against a team that is far more efficient than them in both boxes. And I do think that City create a lot of chances but don't take enough of them. And defensively, concede one chance and concede usually a goal. And I just think against a team like Real Madrid, even without Ronaldo, that's too much. I had a chance to speak to Tony Cross um, a couple of weeks ago about this and one of the interesting things he said was that of course we needed a bit of time to get over those 50 goals that no longer there now that Cristiano isn't there and also he, he referenced that eagerness that obsession to score goals that he brought to the table at the same time he seemed to say albeit in very careful terms that maybe collectively the team works a little bit harder and is a bit more solid as a result mm-hmm. and even enjoys the defensive side of things because they see that you actually get rewarded for it. So he seemed to be saying that, yes, we have not quite the same firepower up front, but maybe we are slightly more evolved as a team. And um, it'd be very interesting, I think, to see if their possession game, which is, I think, one of the things that's a little bit underrated, we never think of Real Madrid necessarily as a possession team, but I think they have become a possession team. And that's one of the reasons why they have won so many things, certainly in Europe, whether they can dominate that against City, a team that usually never get dominated possession-wise. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, sorry, if, if Zidane play with five in midfield for that, for that game, it. maybe even for both games. The good thing is that Zinedine Zidane is not, is not a prisoner of any system. I mean, he has played with the 4-4-2, with the 4-3-3. And if he plays Vinicius, Gareth Bale and Benzema up front, I wouldn't be surprised because he does so many rotations according to the rival and according to the game that uh, it's difficult to predict what Real Madrid you will see. Either the, the one that is slower with the ball but with a good possession or the one that is so frenetic and so quick with Gareth Bale, Vinicius, Benzema up front. And the fact that Fede Valverde was rested for the game against Levante tells you the high regard that Zinedine Zidane has for this player who started being a regular in the first team back in August, but he provides so much energy to the midfield as well. I don't want to point this out, Jules, but I will, is that I just think City are a little bit like PSG. Here we go. It's not well, their we don't cook our books. No, we don't cook our books. We don't cook our books. <laughs> oh, no, right, yeah. What was that training ground you saw? <laughs> no, no, no. That, it's a different. It's a different way of from yeah, the Qatar yeah. Tourism Authority. It's a different way of cheating. It's not. We don't cook the books. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Thursday sees the return of the Europa League. Boom. Boom. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Europa League, everybody. Last 32, second legs on Thursday. Uh, apart from Braga against Rangers, of course, that takes place on Wednesday. Uh, Rangers, wow, what a game that was. George, you weren't there for this. No, it's a shame. Rangers was... were 2-0 down at home to yeah. Braga, and they won 3-2, which and is brilliant. Yeah, actually... They've now conceded two away goals to Braga, which is less brilliant. So yeah. that's quite delicate. That's on Wednesday. And Yenis Hadji as well. Yeah. Wow. Right foot, left foot. You know, he's a Santi Cazola type of player very nice you know for someone whose dad yes was only left purely left footed I mean he never used his right foot for anything mm. to have a son that is so good with both feet I think it's pretty amazing some teams have significant leads from the first legs Wolves Frankfurt Inter and Basel other games look more delicately poised uh, Ghent and Roma uh, Roma only 1-0 up Celtic and Copenhagen had a 1-1 draw Man United 
who uh, are one-one with Bruges. Bruges, of course, who had that two-two draw against Real Madrid, you know, in the Champions League earlier on, and other games too. It, one of the outstanding games from the, the first legs uh, was Getafe beating Ajax two-nil. Wow! Wait, was there a huge reaction to that in uh, Spain? Yes, but no one was like, "Oh, we are so surprised that this has happened." We all know how good Getafe is in Spain. So, right. Yeah, they beat Ajax. And uh, according to Opta, the ball was in play only 42 minutes and 36 seconds. Right. Which is what I, I was telling you about Getafe against Athletic de Bilbao a couple of weeks ago. Basically, I sat down there to watch the game and I felt that nothing had happened because Getafe doesn't want anything to happen. Good. They lost this weekend against Sevilla, 3-0. Mm-hmm. Sevilla needed that victory um, because they are also trying to qualify for Champions League. And I believe that uh, Getafe is going to try to play as less as possible against Ajax. With their means, they've got uh, some players that they can really hurt in the counter-attacks. The likes of Kennedy, for example, former Chelsea player. Mm-hmm. Or um, Cucurella, former left-back of Barcelona, who is really quick on that left wing. And I believe that Getafe was the favorite before the tire. Really? And no I, I think that Come he's on. even more now. Come on, man. Wow. He's the third team in the Spanish league. Yeah, Geta, Geta Geta they were favorite against Ajax with the second leg in Amsterdam. You felt that yes. they were favorite. Yes, no, seriously. Man. You yeah. can see what happens in that second leg Thursday Ajax night. Lost, lost this weekend Ajax, as well against yeah, Heraklas in the league. Ajax mm. lost this weekend, and uh, next weekend they are playing against AZ Alkmaar, mm-hmm. which is the second in the Eredivisie. So they've got a really tough week ahead of them. Right, decisive week ahead of them. There you go. Thursday night, anyway. Uh, BT Sport will be showing you all those. Second legs of the last 32 matches in the Europa League. And from, I think, 5 to 8, we're going to be doing a goal show mm. of uh, the second set of eight matches, which includes Ajax Hetafe. Wow. OK, next up, Rafa, let's round up some of the stories not involving European midweek competition, some of the domestic tales that need telling. Sancho zu Hakimi, das könnte jetzt gefährlich werden. Hakimi, Ola Tor! Ja. Super schnell gespielt, ein klasse herausgespielter Treffer von Borussia Dortmund in der 66. Minute. Erling Haaland, das 2 zu 0. Nobby Dickel's back, because Erling Haaland's back. What the hell? That's now 40 goals for the season. 40! Crazy stuff, James. Yes, in how many minutes? I don't know how, how how many minutes. Do you know, two thousand. So that's a goal every fifty minutes. Five zero. Insane, isn't it? So this was, this was part of a two nil win over Werder Bremen at Werder Bremen, a game which also featured uh, Jaden Sancho picking up his fourteenth assist of the season in the league. Crazy. But even with that, they're four points off the top. Where Rafa is it now between RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich for the title? Well, Dortmund certainly don't think so. Right. Um, they still have Bayern in Dortmund to come. Ooh. And Axel Witzel gave a very interesting interview after that win at Bremen, which is very un-Dortmund like because it was balanced, defensively solid, all the things we haven't seen from Dortmund in a long time. He said, uh, well, we're not thinking about the title or anything, but we want to make sure we're close to Bayern uh, until they come back to us uh, in April. So they are quietly thinking ahead. Um, believing that if they can keep that distance to a reasonable uh, figure, then maybe they can surprise Bayern this Such year. Such a difficult place to go to the Signal Duna Park as uh, PSG discovered just last mm. week, eh, Jules? They did, they did. They were not very good. Women were, were good, were better. Haaland was good. I mean, 
what a club to support. What, I mean, what a life this is. It's just like the amount of drama they created by themselves. Not even like, I mean, after the game, uh, Thomas Meunier, the uh, Belgian right back, saying like, no one told me I was on a yellow. So I didn't know I was going to be suspended if I got a yellow card again, which he did. So he was going to miss the second leg. Uh, Presnel Kimpembe's brother on social media insulted Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> Pro- like properly insulted him. You're like, what the... F- you know, um, you had Neymar saying like, I wanted to play. He he hasn't played the, the last four games before the, the first leg against Dortmund. He said, I wanted to play with the club, wanted to protect me. I don't understand why, you know, this is not what I wanted. Every knockout game. <laughs> but still, you know, and then he was a bit short of match fitness, although he scored, but he, he was not very good. And then this weekend he was he was sent off at the end of the of the Bordeaux game. And then you obviously had the birthday party of Icardi, Cavani and, and Di Maria who had obviously. a joint birthday party together only 48 hours after the Dortmund defeat. It was a great party. By great party. Dancing well. half naked with Wanda sending all the videos and everything. I mean, it's just like, wow. Was... Tuchel was very happy about that. Oh God, Tuchel. Leonardo as well who had a word with the players in the dressing room. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just an incredible club to be fair. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I don't even know that what, what to say anymore apart from like, it's a constant circus to be fair and you can spend as much money as you want have the best players as many best players as you want mm. there's a moment where the lack of discipline and the lack of direction in the way of that club will always cost them whoever they play against even if they turn that game around against Dortmund which they can they can they win 2-0 yeah. at home and mm-hmm. qualify in two weeks time but yet the problems will all still be there because at times it's an absolute joke was it not tactical to lose the first leg so they wouldn't have a lead to throw away Maybe. in the second leg you know what actually I did think my first reaction was like okay Tuchel messed it up by going three at the back he only told the players uh, in his team meeting three hours before kickoff, which I think was a huge mistake to go for a back three when they, they almost never won every time he played the back three mm. I think the seven games before the one at Dortmund I don't understand why he did that and certainly a lot of the players, some of the big players, didn't understand it either. But maybe it's a bad thing for a good thing in your, in a way. Yeah, you keep telling yourself Yeah, that, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> uh, Sunday at the Parc des Princes, the uh, supporters with a big banner uh, asking the players if they deserve to wear PSG's colours. Find out, says the banner, on March the 11th. Yeah, and also carry your balls. They had the, oh, really? The yeah, carry yeah. your balls. Yeah, yeah. This is funny because this is the, the best period in PSG history at the same time. Yeah, and they also extended <laughs> their lead this weekend because Marseille lost for the first time in True. For, but again, in, in a very dramatic fashion, the border 4-3, again, right. that they should have never been in so much trouble. Neymar getting sent off at the end. Cavani and Mbappé having an argument on the pitch because Mbappé felt Cavani should have crossed the ball to him. He didn't, but he did a few minutes later, but still Mbappé was not happy. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, take your kids to the Jules, circus. I hear what you're saying about the formation, but... Were you a little bit surprised, struck, annoyed that PSG just didn't turn up? I mean, they just didn't play, they didn't compete, they had no character, no presence. And second question, um, are you worried that Mbappe is getting a bit Neymar-fied? Because he looked very uninvolved. Yeah, and he was the same on Sunday against Bordeaux as well, where every time he touched the ball, he tried to do something very like fancy and offensible and like what Neymar is doing but it's, this is not new this this has been the case since they both arrived at the club two and a half years ago I think that he has Mbappe has in his mind that Neymar is the example and the the guide and that he should follow in his footsteps and all of that and I think sometimes you're right it's completely counterproductive both for the team and also for Mbappe himself and then 
I, th- I thought everything was disappointed in that first leg, the way they played, the way they, the way Tuchel set them up individually in the games where you wanted or expected the big players to turn up. They didn't turn up, they didn't deliver. And even at 1-1, you thought, OK, now be clever and just shut the shop and just don't allow anything else. And three minutes later, Haaland scored the second, which is a great goal, but still, this should have never happened. And I still think there's a bit of naivety in that team, which is hard to, to believe and understand. And maybe a lack of talent and a lack of leadership somewhere on that pitch. Lack of Haaland, that's what it is. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mentioned the fact that uh, Marseille lost first game in how long? Four months. Four months. Against Nantes. Also saw headline writer's favourite Nice Brest. Uh, that finished 2-2. <laughs> yeah, that finished. It was, it was great. Okay. Sexy football. All right then. Uh, Rafa, you were going to tell us probably about RB Leipzig's 5-0 win over Schalke. They played really well and uh, our friend uh, Christo Nkunku mm-hmm. had a great game of four assists. Nkunku like clockwork. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, Good you could stuff. say that. Yeah. All right. Um, but, but the biggest story is a non-football story in Germany. Yes. Yeah. Because there's been an ongoing problem, which I'm not sure you're aware of, between Dortmund fans and Dietmar Hopp, the benefactor of, of Hoffenheim. Uh, years ago, they protested against him. Uh, then um, you might just vaguely recall that Hoffenheim had this thing where they had a contraption at their ground that would emit a high-frequency noise to annoy the Dortmund fans who were shouting all this stuff about... Um, <laughs> Is this like the one they used at the Maracanã where it played the Looney Tunes music over these um, supporters? I think this one was more kind of like oral warfare-like. Right. I mean, no one was was injured, but it was very unpleasant. But the cl- this was actually put there by the club, was it? Well, by some rogue employee by the club oh. without the knowledge of anyone else at the club right. who then resigned. Anyway, so there's been a whole ongoing struggle between Dortmund fans who see it as uh, very untoward that somebody comes in as a millionaire or billionaire in his case, bankrolls this village club and takes them to the Bundesliga as far as they're concerned. He personifies everything that is bad about kind of investor-led modern type football and he has threatened them repeatedly with, uh, with sanctions and at the last game um, when 50 Dortmund fans or so were again singing Dietmar Hopp, you're the son of a so-and-so, he actually reported them to the police. And surprisingly, the police actually looked at all the video footage, identified some individual fans, took them to court. On what, and on what charge? On uh, insulting. Insulting. And um, they were, in the first instance, convicted. Also, because this had been a repeated problem, the German FA actually have banned Dortmund fans from going to Hoffenheim games for two years. You're kidding. So all fans are not allowed to go at all. Now, Borussia were playing Hoffenheim on Saturday. The Borussia Mönchengladbach fans, who are no friends of their um, fellow Borussia brothers from Dortmund, uh, put up a banner with Hopp's face in the crosshairs. Right which Dortmund fans used to show all these years ago, right. so it was come kind of a reference. This happened on a day when all Bundesliga clubs held a minute of silence in memory of the victims of the shooting attack, uh, right-wing terrorist shooting attack in Hanau, just outside Frankfurt. And even though this was like 60 minutes later, Max Eber, the Borussia Mönchengladbach, 
sporting director and many media commentators felt that on this particular day, this was extremely bad taste to have somebody in the crosshairs. And he put it in a context which is perhaps a little bit unfair to the ultras, but nevertheless fed into this idea that they were out of order and shouldn't have done it. He certainly went over, tried to remonstrate them. Lars Stindl, the Busse Mönchengladbach captain, also went over. They took down the banner, but the referee was prepared to even call the game off. And now this has led to a big debate about what is acceptable by way of insults and protests and so on, and what oversteps the line. And uh, I don't think they're necessarily easy answers, um, but it shows you just how sensitive the climate is at the moment in Germany. All right. There'll be some pretty wild off-field tales from Italy coming up next as we continue our roundup of the big stories around Europe. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. James, four City Hour matches called off this weekend due to fears over the coronavirus, doubts over what's going to happen with next weekend fixtures, a lot of talk that the league may be forced to hold some or even all of the games behind closed doors because effectively a lot of uh, public meetings are being shut down now by un, uh, by the Italian government under emergency measures. When was yes. the last time you were in Italy again? <laughs> last oh, week. Oh no! <laughs> it's a very complicated situation, James. I think it's unprecedented in many ways because um, we've had uh, games in a round of fixtures cancelled before because of uh, a tragedy out of... Uh, Compassion for the victims, be it the Morandi Bridge disaster a couple of years ago in Genova, be it the death of Davide Astori as well. With this, um, I think uh, it reflects the uncertainty at the moment in Italy as to whether this will stabilise. It may get better, it may get worse. Um, And Inter, for example, have been... Holding talks uh, with the league, the Italian Football Federation, um, who likewise have been talking to the government uh, about when they can replay this game against uh, Sampdoria, which was due to take place on Sunday night. And into look at their fixture list and like, we're jam-packed. Um, at the moment, we're still in three competitions. We have to honour those competitions. We can't basically forecast when we might be out of one or how far we might go in one. So at the moment, uh, the only prospect of, of replaying that Samp game is right at the end of May when the season's already finished um, and the European Championship is at the door. And and that's another thing to consider here is that the some games of the European Championship will be held in Italy, in mm. Rome. Mm. Um, and we should, I think, pose the question that for the moment, yes, Italy is the most affected country after China and South Korea when it comes to the coronavirus but I wouldn't expect it just to remain a problem for those three sure. countries um, and and having a, a truly continental competition um, in the summer um, in which uh, we play all over Europe um, is going to be a very very complex situation unless there is some sudden um, solution or uh, this, this, the coronavirus, we find a way of containing it and yeah. dealing with it. No way of knowing where this is going to uh, end up. In the meantime, of course, huge doubts over uh, Inter's Europa League game coming up this Thursday, mm-hmm. which is uh, due to be held at San Siro against Ludogorets. They're 2-0 up from the first leg. This weekend, Lazio did play. Juve did, as you mentioned, the uh, 2-1 victory over Brescia. Lazio stayed a point behind La Signora with a 3-2 win at Genoa, making it now 20 games unbeaten with Chido Immobile notching up his 27th goal of the campaign. That's his 27th league goal 
that's just extraordinary. It is. It matches uh, the most uh, prolific season had by a player, at least up until this stage, which was uh, Juan Antonio Angelillo back in the late 50s. Um, and Lazio just keep going. And Simone Inzaghi isn't hiding uh, from the, the Scudetto talk. Uh, very much, it's not a forbidden word for him and his players. And um, just listening to Andrea Agnelli, um, the Juventus president today, um, saying that the fact that they didn't expect to be in the title race and have no expectation around them makes them dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think... It's a dream that this Lazio players um, believe in. They're not weighed down by that weight of expectation in the way that Inter are after appointing Conte, making the signings that they have done. And um, yeah, I, I, I wonder about the psychology of the title race now with Inter having not played at the weekend, being six points behind uh, Juventus, five points behind Lazio. Um, it looks like the Derby d'Italia on Sunday um, will be played behind closed doors in Turin. Um, yeah, again, how will that um, impact how that game is played? I think this this is really having a, a huge effect on what is one of the most kind of gripping title races um, at the moment. And ultimately, yeah, public health comes first in all this. This is the priority because, um, as Arrigo Sacchi said, the yeah, football is the most important of the least important things. Nicely put, Arrigo. Yeah. Uh, Roma, just to mention, got their first home win in the league for more than two months. They beat Lecce with very much uh, Mkhitaryan at the star. <laughs> Lecce fans on their way to that game mm. had a pretty colourful trip. Did you follow this story at all? Well, so, I saw they were attacked by... Yeah, so basically they were driving up the, I think it's the A16... Uh, to Rome, minibuses of, of Lecce fans, and they overtake some uh, Bari supporters. And, you know, there are one or two insults out the car windows as they go by. Bari supporters decide they're not letting this one go. So they call to their friends who are in the coaches of Bari uh, fans, which are further up the road. So they basically pull their coaches across the motorway, blocking the entire road. And the Lecce fans arrive. There's about 50 Lecce fans, and there's now 200 uh, Bari supporters around them, and for about half an hour, they just go at it. It's just complete warfare. This is I about mim- fight, a fight like Chelsea and Spurs fans had on Saturday afternoon. I didn't see that one, but this is the this is midday on a Sunday afternoon. Incredible. Across three or four lanes of an Italian motorway, they basically pull the coaches across to block the motorway, and for half an hour, they just go at it. Yeah. And one of the Lecce minibuses is basically burnt. There's all these cars, all these cars oh. that happen to be there have got their tires ripped to pieces because they, uh, they didn't just put the coaches across the motorway; they threw nails down on the. <laughs> on the tarmac it's incredible I mean one of the solutions I say solutions uh, contingency plans uh, to deal with uh, keeping the the season going whilst uh, Italy deals with the coronavirus um, at the moment was to actually play games in the south where uh, where the virus is yet to uh, uh, not even the virus days (laughs) (laughs) precisely and uh, and Yelly said there could be some public order problems there Uh, not referring to this but still incredible All right. after this let's get a quick catch up on Spain and Alvaro we can hear why Atleti are suddenly doing really well para poner tercero al Atlético de Madrid para culminar la remontada en el Metropolitano para redondear una semana de felicidad Alvaro, Atletico Madrid, you said they had no chance against Liverpool. Now look what's happened. Did I say 70-30? Maybe you did. All right. <laughs> Maybe. Still, but still. They, they, they had that victory in classic Atletico fashion. Yes. Like, you know, 
vintage stuff. And then this weekend, they're scoring buckets goals. Well, they've got three goals against Villarreal. Yes, because uh, the victory against Liverpool raised the spirits. But I tell you what, if they hadn't beaten Liverpool, I think they wouldn't have uh, overcome Paco Alcácer's goal because Villarreal scored first. But mm. now they ooze confidence. And Atletico de Madrid... I think that they are going to struggle against Liverpool because uh, really? basically they are going to stay in their box for 60 or 70 minutes and just if the ball is around there, it's going to be really difficult not to concede at some point. But the victory was very important because Atletico de Madrid feels that now they can again compete toe-to-toe with these teams, which is something that they needed to know after right. what happened in the Super Cup. They beat Barcelona but not Real Madrid in the final. After what happened in the last games against Real Madrid... And I think that Simeone has found or is going to give more continuity, to put it some sort of way, to the defensive structure. We know who the defenders are, more or less, the ones that played against uh, against uh, Liverpool, perhaps, with the inclusion of uh, Kieran Tripper. And then Thomas, Saul and Koke in midfield. Right. So that's going to be how Atletico de Madrid lineup will start. Okay. And then the strikers up front will probably switch uh, Correa one day, Morata another one, Diego Costa another one, but I think that Simeone is going back to the basics again, and normally going back to the basics for him means having a seven-man solid structure, mm. and then attack whenever we have a chance to do it. João Felix, by the way, on the score sheet uh, on uh, the weekend against Villarreal, that's his first goal in almost five months. Elsewhere in the Liga this weekend, uh, Valencia got beaten 3-0 by Real Sociedad, Wow, tough week for Valencia after getting absolutely yeah. taken apart by Atalanta 4-1 in the Champions League. A, a, a dreadful week for them. Uh, but Didn't they have expected goals higher than Atalanta in they the did. game? Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> I was, no, no, really. Yeah, I, wa- no. I was on Twitter with James uh, talking yeah. about that. I was saying that the game should have been 4-all. James said that Atalanta should have won 6-4. Anyway, oh my God, you, s- you, you know what? I, the one thing that I saw against... What, you, you disagree with the 4-4? No, I think maybe no, six yeah, yeah. Fair. no, I mean we talked about this on Thursday after the yeah, game, yeah. and I, I, you know, I think we said similar things. But you know, four-one was the actual score. Yeah, yeah and, and <laughs> fair play oh, to so Italian. Fair play to Atalanta, but but there is something that oh, I they found magnificent. There, there is something that I found puzzling is the yes. fact that in the last twenty minutes of that game against Atalanta, Valencia had a player like Vaz who doesn't cross the ball well, mm. and they had only one striker in the box with four or five Atalanta defenders, and the guy sending the cross, the delivery, always find the striker. Mm. And the Gamero and Maxi Gomez had clear chances, yeah. surrounded by four centre-backs. So Atalanta's defence that day was hopeful as well. well. That is the only thing that gives Valencia any hope. Right. The fact that against Atalanta, they saw that the opponent has plenty of flaws as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that Maxi Gomez chance, I think the cross came in actually from Ilicic. No? I mean, it, was, it was a bizarre bit of... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they're a um, they're a good time team, Atalanta. They don't care too much for no, they, the consequences. Also in Spain this weekend, Alvaro. Well, in Spain this weekend, Joaquin played. Joaquin scored the goal uh, for Real Betis, and he became the La Liga's fourth highest, uh, the player with the four most appearances. Fourth most appearances. Wow. In La Liga, yeah. how many? Uh, Joaquin has played four hundred and forty-two games in La Liga, right. which is really astonishing considering that he spent two years in Italy playing for Fiorentina. He's got uh, Eusebio, Raúl and Zubizarreta in mm. front of him. What I find quite interesting about this list is that if you take the 
20 players that have played more games in La Liga, they all started playing in the 80s. Perhaps because in La Liga players or the league didn't have as many games in the past. Or maybe because the players' careers were over effectively at the age of 30. Yeah. Many players from the past are not in this list. Yeah. But yeah, Joaquin is an example of uh, longevity. Uh, let's not forget that he played the World Cup in 2002. And uh, he's got one more year at Betis. So he will definitely uh, surpass Raul in the list, who is the second. And he will be closer to Antonio Zubizarreta, who is up front with 80 more games than Joaquin. Okay. Rafa, you have a question about La Liga. What happened to Rodrigo for him to get sent off in the reserves game? Well, in the, sorry, not the reserves, the B team. And why does it affect his chances in the Clásico? Yeah, because Rodrigo got sent off uh, playing for Castilla, Real Madrid B team, because he scored the goal and he celebrated that goal in front of the goalkeeper mm. to his face, basically. What did he do? He just shouted at the goalkeeper's face after scoring a goal huh. because the goalkeeper wanted to question him why he didn't uh, stop the game because uh, an opponent was on the floor allegedly with an injury. I think that that was the, the case. And Rodrigo scored the goal. He didn't like that. The goalkeeper went to him in an inquisitive way. And, <laughs> and, and yeah. Never uh, expect inquisitive way in Spain. And he won't be playing the Clásico. Right. He won't be playing El Clásico because he got uh, two yellows for that action. Wow. Number one for shouting at the goalkeeper. Number two hmm. for not liking getting the first yellow card. And he will be missing El Clásico, which uh, will be happening on the 1st of March, Sunday at 8 p.m. UK time. Okay. That Rodrigo thing. So basically the keeper comes over and he just kind of waves his hands like... And gets a yellow card for it. That's wrong. Unsporting conduct, James. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Next up, hey, we're going to go to Turkey. But first, Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. It's producer Ben, and I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it's a huge week in the Champions League again, and let's start with Napoli. Um, can Gattuso's men do it and knock out Barcelona? God, I'm still getting used to the fact that he's manager at Napoli. Weird. But he's doing well, clearly, as they've beaten each of the top three in Italy over the last month or so. Beating Barcelona, though, is still beyond them, according to our odds makers. We make it 11-5 to at the home side win in Naples, with Barcelona the 6-5 to favourites. That the Catalans are better than evens, though, is testament to Napoli's form. The draw here is 5-2, Barcelona are 1-4 to to qualify. All right, moving on to Liverpool. Uh, Jurgen Klopp thinks that Juve are the favourites for the Champions League this season, but what say you at PP? We say stick to football management, Jürgen. You're pretty good at that. Your bookmaking skills seem to leave something to be desired. Although, if you fancy doing a bit of spokesperson work, this slot is very much available. Wouldn't take much to upgrade in the current incumbent either. We make Juventus 11-1 to to win the Champions League, which puts them as sick favourites in our betting behind Man City, Liverpool, Bayern, Barcelona and PSG. Not a bad list. Klopp, of course, can afford to play his brilliant reserve team in the league and keep his big guns for Europe. Not that that worked against Atleti last week, though. And finally, sticking with the old lady, they've got a huge game with Inter on Sunday. How's this one going to play out? Hmm, a juicy one. The type of game that I find very difficult to call. Which is probably why our odds go a little route one here. Juventus, the reigning champions at home, are 10-11 to favourites to win this, as you might expect. Inter are given a 13-5 to chance of winning with the draw 12-5. to that Cristiano Ronaldo fellow is odds on to score and break the score record the guys have been talking about. However, we make one all the most likely scoreline. Very number wang. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. 
Super League in Turkey. It's been a mad season. The big sides outside the top positions, newly promoted Sivaspor leading the way. Sunday then saw the intercontinental derby. No, not that one. Fenerbahce from the Asian side of the Bosphorus against Galatasaray from the European side. And an extraordinary game. Uh, Rory Smith was there. And excitingly, he's now here on the line. Hello, Rory. Hello, James. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. Listen, thanks for joining us. Uh, what made you go along to see uh, this Fenerbahce Galatasaray clash? Uh, well, basically, what you've just said. I think it's really interesting that in Turkey this year, you've got Sivaspor, who are top, Trabzonspor, was uh, sort of second, third. You've got Istanbul Bashatya here as well, who are trying to compete for the title. And it's very strange that in a country where the Istanbul bid three dominates so much that you've seen all three of them struggle. And I, I kind of wanted to go out and find find out why. And I figured that if I was in a jail, I might as well go and take in a game or two. So I went to see Besiktas Trabzonspor on Saturday night, which is which who were the other two two members of Turkey's bid four. Uh, and then the the intercontinental derby on uh, Sunday night was too good an opportunity to miss. Brilliant. And it turned out to be quite a match. 3-1 for Galatasaray, which is actually, for, you know, for all that talk of them being outside the top positions, they are now back in a three-way tie for top spot. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's them, Sivaspor and Trabzonspor, all level on points. Yeah, and they're the reigning champions. And I think from this point on, you probably have to say they're favourites to win the title. Although there's a, there's a feeling in Turkey that, that Trabzonspor might be best placed to do it, who are a kind of traditional giant, but not on the same level as, as Gala, Fener and Besiktas. But I think that, that for all three of them, the horizons have shrunk quite a lot from where they were when, when you had Didier Drogba and Wesley Schneider at Galatasaray and you had Robin Van Persie at Fenerbahce and Dembabar at Besiktas, maybe a slight level below that. All three have fallen some way in the last four or five years. Their record in the Champions League is really poor. Uh, and I think there, is, there are fundamental kind of structural issues in Turkish football that need sorting out. There's a great viral clip of uh, Galatasaray fans smashing up their apartment after Onyekuru's miss uh, for Gala uh, in the derby on Sunday. What was the atmosphere like in the stadium? It, it doesn't let you down, I have to say. <laughs> the, the Intercontinental derby lives up to expectations. I've never been to a game that was quite so fractious. I apologise for the... Um, that's the German police coming past. I do apologise. Uh, uh, I'm in Frankfurt. The German police aren't right. in Turkey. Yeah. I, should, I should highlight that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's, it was a really fractious game. I mean, there must have been a foul every 30 seconds. It, it was not a sort of great flowing match of football. The, um, the noise is incredible. Everyone sort of warned me beforehand, sort of take earplugs, make sure you, you know, you cover your ears, you'll, like, you'll come out deaf sort of thing. And you, you go inside the, 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 the sort of and it is, it is really, really noisy. And I think what's, what's most sort of striking about it to an English ear is that it's constant. It's not, it's not kind of big waves of noise when something exciting happens. It's just this constant beat of noise that doesn't really drop until Galatasaray go 2-1 up and threaten to win a game at Fenerbahce for the first time in 20 years, which mm. silenced most of the people in the stadium. If I was the sort of person to have a bucket list, it would be on my bucket list. And it, li- it lives up to what you, to what you think it, it's going to be like. Yeah, 12 bookings. I read three red cards. And the Fenerbahce fans are chanting for their coach to resign. Not the boss for us, I, I guess, to <laughs> use an old... <laughs> yeah, they, um, they're quick. So this is one of the problems in Turkey, that they are very quick to decide that everyone has to be sacked immediately. There's a, the, one, of the, one of the kind of standard bearer coaches in Turkish football was um, Abdul Avci, was, um, was sacked by Besiktas after about, after about three months a few weeks ago, and he kind of went into the club saying, look, I'm going to need two years to build something. 
But you don't get two years in Turkey. If you get if you get a few weeks, you're doing pretty well. So after the game last night, when you kind of left the stadium by the the VIP entrance, you had three, four hundred fans outside. Uh, a huge riot police presence as the fans, I think, were allowed to kind of let off steam a little bit. They chanted for the coach to be sacked. They wanted um, Ali Koch, who's the multi-billionaire owner of Fenerbahce. Uh, they were chanting fairly disparaging things about him as well. He had to kind of make an escape from the stadium. Losing a derby, losing the Intercontinental derby, isn't a great idea for anybody. Uh, and uh, yeah, Fenerbahce, will, they'll have a rough, a rough couple of weeks. And they are, of the, of the traditional elite, they're the ones who are struggling the most. Okay. Uh, Rory, what are you doing in Frankfurt now? Are you off to another game? I'm going to Eintracht against Union Berlin, as I believe it's correctly pronounced, mm. James. Yeah. Rafa's nodding. Uh, so top top work on that one. Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, that sounds excellent. Thank you so much for bringing us a little bit of the flavour of the Intercontinental Derby, Rory. And we look forward to catching up with, with more of your uh, uh, worldwide football adventures soon. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Rory Smith of the New York Times, out and about in football land. All right, that pretty much wraps it up for today. But we've got one or two little things... That we'd like to mention, Jules Cavani. Two hundred goals, James, in two hundred and ninety-eight appearances now for PSG. He should have never got there because he should have been sold in January, but he stayed. Right. And there was a little ceremony for him at the end of the game on Sunday. What he was they crying. Do? They gave him a little trophy with two hundred on air and the stadium was you know singing his famous songs and all of that and all the family was in the stand so he was crying and it was it was beautiful but, right okay know. Tariq Abdullah has a question for you Jules can you preview the best talents of Leon, Cherki and Awar ahead of uh, the clash with Juventus also why does every year Jean-Michel Aulas offer players to Juve via the media <laughs> Olas loves Twitter as you know he follows our own James Oncastle, does he? for example. Does he, yeah. he does, yeah. He does. And he's very quick as well to tweet you if he's not happy with something you said or... Has he tweeted you, James? Or wrote. Only to say, James, I like these Juventus players. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember as well how for his women's side, yes. he likes going straight to the players on Twitter to go like, come to Lyon and almost like stalk them mm. until they sign. True, it's I. quite strange. Alex Morgan, it's quite strange and... we. At the time of we used to do the the BTEFS show on BT Sport, we used to to um, have a lot of fun with that. But yeah, his relationship with the media is interesting, and with social media as well. And and for Sherky and Awa, for Sherky, we you know we talked a lot about him on the show already. I, I don't know if he will be involved or not on on Wednesday night. Uh, he played with the under 19s at the weekend against PSG under 19 in the um, in the Youth Cup in France, and PSG heavily won that game. Sherky was quite frustrated. And it was not a good afternoon for him, but he's an incredible talent. He's only 16 and has already showed so much with the first team. So it's definitely one for the future and they will allow time to really mature and explode. And for Awa, I was thinking the other day, uh, watching him play, how how good he will be. And if, if someone like Klopp and Liverpool sign him, for example, which I think is a possibility and he's certainly a player that they're looking at right now, Klopp will make him one of the best in the world because he, I think he has that technical ability that he's... One of the best in the world at what? At being a midfielder that can do everything and he right. needs to improve his defensive work rate and positioning and, and but he's so intelligent and he's so good on the ball and he has so much energy and 
He can play short and he can play long and he can dribble and he can accelerate. So he can be a box-to-box player, but I, I still believe he can he can be very good at sitting as well because he's got that awareness and that technical ability like a Pjanic, for example, to play in that position. And I just think that we will see him more and more with the French national team as well, I think, which is going to help him a lot. But I want to see him in that game against Juventus because I think he's got so much to give that mm. he will be one of the key of the game for Lyon. Really? Yeah. James, anything that you perhaps should have mentioned earlier on that you'd like to just throw in? <laughs> well, another thing to look out for at the San Paolo oh, yeah. in midweek is uh, Dries Mertens, who is one goal away one. from matching Marek Hamsik as uh, Napoli's all-time top scorer. Incredible. Yeah, incredible game in which to do that. Yeah, amazing that neither of them was actually really a striker. No, and uh, Mertens certainly wasn't a striker when he signed uh, mm. for Napoli. He was a winger who would often come off the bench. And but Hamzic was never a striker. I mean, he never no. played. Yeah. And he was often their top scorer, um, yeah. particularly when he, he first joined the club. Um, but Mertens will have done it in fewer games, fewer seasons. Right. Remarkable what Dries has done as he chooses his next club, perhaps, wow. with his contract still running down. Go? Well, I think he would still like to stay... Uh, in Naples but there's been interest from Inter certainly to take him up there because Conte can't have enough wants more and more strikers and there was there was interest from here and remember Chelsea bid for him in January as well and uh, I think his wage demands are very high though because it would be his last contract oh right so Alvaro anything else you want to throw in? yeah Marca published last weekend that uh, Paul Pogba is no longer Real Madrid's target Woo! is Camavinga <laughs> Leave him alone. Edouard He's only Camavinga. 17. He got Edouard. taken out, didn't he, this week? Yeah, badly as well. Proper badly. Uh, he's been the second player's fouled the most in France after Neymar. Right. Because, and d- despite playing in a central midfield, the role, you know, which you would expect more someone like a forward like Neymar to be fouled a lot. But yeah, he's, again, he's only 17. There's plenty of time for him to go to Real Madrid. So. Footballers are so young these days. It's the best crazy. Team. It would be, I think it would be crazy for him to leave right now. Right. And I think it would be crazy for Real Madrid to, to bid 60, 70 what, that's, million that's euros for him. Is, no, he's 17. It's crazy. Yeah, true. Yeah. Hopefully some games get played. Hopefully some great goals get you know, scored. You know, next weekend is, a, is an incredible weekend. So yeah. the Classico is on Sunday. Yeah. You've got... Juve Inter. Juve Inter Hopefully, on maybe. Sunday. You've yeah. got the Ron Derby on Sunday as well. The Lyon Saint-Étienne game with Claude Puel in big trouble and right. all of that. They're not winning. They haven't won in six or five. Mm. You've got the Ajax, we said first against second in the area divisa wow. as well. Anything in Germany? There's the League Cup final in, in England, for example, uh, as well. Yeah. In Germany, there's always big games. Rafa is just checking quickly. What do you got, Raf? We haven't got... We've got Paderborn versus Frankfurt. We haven't got Union super against... sexy stuff. But no, it's like, yeah. No, you're right. You're games. absolutely right, Jules. That no, is quite incredible. Um, what a con- convergence of, of huge fixtures. Leipzig Leverkusen is probably the best yeah, second offer. Yeah, good, yeah, you know. Good, yeah. yeah. All right. LL Cool Game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. Uh, that's it for today, anyway, listener. Uh, do hope you have a terrific time. There'll be a new Totally Along before you know it. For now, it's many thanks to Alvaro, to Rafa, to Jules and James, and producer Charlie, and you, listener. And we'll catch you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.
I'm Andrew Slavin from the Totally Scottish Football Show and I'm here to tell you why you should be listening to our Scottish show. Number one, it's full of insightful knowledge on Scottish football like this. It looks to me as though they've spent all their time working on things in training. We go on the pitch and then you just forget it, which happens with players who aren't very good. Number two, it's got Georgie Hatch's son. Number three, we get to talk about the spaghetti hag. Look into it, you should. Anyway, you'll find us every Tuesday morning ready to inform you on the greatest league in world football. Just search for the Totally Scottish Football Show and we'll be there every Tuesday. Marini's Media.